time, no beginning, no end. An infinite procession that humbles our mortality. But there are moments in life that transcend our fate. Memories crafted by gods among men that defy time to forget them. These are the moments that echo through the ages. Always heard, never to grow old. Born of will, christened with blood. They are testament to the strong, the mighty, the eminent. Deities who defy their own mortality to forge an indelible imprint in the annals of time. Like the mythic gods of ancient Greece, they may thrill us, inspire us, at times make us angry, but they will never let us forget them. Tonight is their night, their battle, their moment of ultimate sacrifice, for this is their theater, their altar, their chance for divinity. Welcome to WrestleMania, the showcase of the immortals. First of all, I'm a bit confused because I don't think I've ever seen WrestleMania 16. Um, I thought it, it, oh, I've seen WrestleMania 2000. Fuck off. But yeah, no, <laughs> no, no but it's a good point. It's a good point now, Alex, because oh. I'm not even joking. So before we came on, right, today, before we started recording, before we started recording Matt was sort of saying, uh, you know, he's got some things on his mind. He's, he's going through some stresses in his personal life. And I was thinking to myself, you know, I have been as well, because for the last, since we started this WrestleMania Odyssey, I've been worried about what we're going to call WrestleMania 16, 17 and 18, because they've got strange naming conventions. One's WrestleMania 2000, one's the WrestleMania X7, one's WrestleMania X8. I've been like, do I call them those or do I call them 16, 17, 18? And I, and I'm not necessarily in terms of when we talk, but just in terms of what the podcast episode is going to be called. I mean, I'm all over the place because of it. I, I'm I'm thinking about it day and night. What are we going to do? They name it by its, its numbered edition. It's 16, well, it will be 16, WrestleMania 2000, X7 and X8 titles can fuck off. See, I, I do agree with you, Matt, but it, for me, if I was doing it, I would name them as they are, unfortunately. WrestleMania 2000, WrestleMania X7, WrestleMania X8. Oh. I, and, but I do agree with you. I do agree with you. It, it's <laughs> 16, 17, 18, 19. I was only joking when you said that WrestleMania 16. <laughs> Basically, one of you told me to name it the 16, 17, 18. The other one has yeah. told me to name it through the branding. So basically, yeah. you two yeah, have absolutely helps. no help whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Come on. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler and today we travel back in time for some peak attitude era as up next on our WrestleMania Odyssey is WrestleMania 15. Joining me today is Matt Roberts. 
it's the non-polar bear polar bear i need a new nickname i really do definitely do definitely do we are in the market for a new gimmick so at rwr pod uk hit us up give us some suggestions for what matt's new nickname can be on the pod and also we have another guy who does have a nickname i've just made it up on the spot we have our very own northern powerhouse it's alex rockstar kirky how are you doing rockstar Uh, can you introduce me properly please it's uh tom smith wrestlemania 4 mvp alex rockstar kirky (laughs) please thank you I completely forgot that he did that. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Oh, I, I haven't forgot it. It's on my Twitter handle. I'll never forget. I'll never forget that. It's not just on your Twitter handle. You put it on your CV. You yeah, put it. You've got it ready to go on your your headstone for you know 50 odd years time. Yeah. Well, I share it up the great company of Randy Savage, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and probably Greg Valentine's hair. That's probably oh. been named MVP at some point. <laughs> oh, definitely. I think um, didn't. I think Stephen name uh, who I think t- um, Tony Chimmel or whoever the announcer was at WrestleMania 14 or super, uh, WrestleMania 12, sorry, got super kicked in the face as his MVP. Well, yeah. I- I'll take that because no one else deserves it on that shit show. Ooh, ooh, well, look at that. He's laying down bombs. He's only, <laughs> only a second appearance on the podcast. He's already he's already sounded like he owns it. God. <laughs> I know, I am fairly grateful that I wasn't asked to uh, watch that one. But yeah, I'm really uh, but I'm really excited, especially talking about this show. And WrestleMania 4 was the last one. I was a little bit down after speaking about it. This one, <laughs> I think it's complete opposite. Oh, don't give it away, come on. I'm just not giving it away. It's <laughs> little, a little tease. Well, before we get into our expectations... <clears throat> Uh, and before we get into our summary of the show, apparently, um, just a little plug from me to get things underway. If this is your first time listening to us today, make sure you check out our archives where there are now 100 shows that have been reviewed, including the first 14 WrestleManias, as well as shows from WCW, AWE, AWE, AW, AWE, <laughs> ECW, NWA, NXT and AWA and a whole lot from our friends over at WWE. And I use friends with the loose, loose, loosest possible terms. Friends in terms of, I, I, you know, actually, I've, I've started to us. think about my relationship with WWE and I feel like it's a bit of an abusive one. Like I, I, I actually dislike everything about the company and yet it's really still kind of the most, the biggest, and I hate this word, but fandom I've had in my entire life. So it's, 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 it's not a healthy relationship, put it that way. That's kind of dark, but probably accurate um, description, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is really accurate, actually. I never thought about that, but yeah, it is. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, I've, I've supported Bristol Rovers all my life, but I don't keep in touch with them right now, you know, for ethical reasons. And th- theoretically, WWE is, definitely one i should have dropped for ethical reasons so yeah again well as as you know ben i'm a massive massive bolton wanderers fan and uh, when this show actually comes out uh, not only will it be on the second night of wrestlemania it'll also be on the papa john's final at wembley when bolton <laughs> wanderers play plymouth argyle now i reckon there'll be more people watching the papa john's than the will wrestlemania what do you think uh, no, I think you might be wrong there. Although maybe Bolton have got a huge contingent of fans in India, and then therefore they'll blast it out of the water. Yeah, I don't we'll know see. about that. We've we've not got a massive number of fans at Bolton, let alone India. I seem to Matt, you can you can back me up on this. I seem to remember seeing that there was a UFC card early doors called Super Saturday or Super Sunday, one of the two, um, because it was on the same day as the NFL Super Bowl. The Super Bowl was on. This is basically the same this Sunday coming up, Alex, isn't it? It's it's WrestleMania and the Papa John's, John's final, Super Sunday. Yeah, it's both. Enjoy them. <laughs> so 
expectations let's start with you matt let's see let's see what you were expected oh first of all i want to ask the question have you seen did had you previously seen this one nope so you were like all those months ago when i asked you this question i think wrestlemania one or two and i said what was the first one you watched and you said i think it's 14 and watched everything from one to 13 you were lying i i, I don't ever remember even saying that because like I, I know we had this discussion quite recently i was like no i didn't say i'm sure i didn't say that but if i did i was mistaken this if I wrote, hang on, hang on, I'm trying to think. Yeah, this was the the last one mm. that I've not seen. Like, uh, okay, yeah. So from li- literally, so from 16 onwards, seen them all. So this was literally the last one. So in a way, I was actually I was quite sad because I was like, <laughs> you know, I, I I know I definitely know what happens in for some of them I mean, in great detail for you know for the foreseeable future. But never mind. My my expectations for this was actually quite high. Do you know? I'm not gonna lie. It was high for one reason. Stone Cold versus The Rock Mania main event. I was absolutely dying to be able to see this, being a huge fan of Austin and Rock. So for me, that was what sold me on this. I thought, yep, here we go. Going to be great. Let's find out if it uh, disappointed or if it didn't. And uh, Alex, what about yourself? Right. uh, Expectations. So kind of three expectations, really. First of all, obviously, I I shared the last episode that was in with a lot of family and friends. And I got feedback and a bit of the feedback. Uh, quite a bit of the feedback was that apparently it was very noticeable that I was swearing a lot more than you <laughs> and Steve was. So this is more of a hopes, fears and expectation. I hope I'm going to try and curb it a little bit. I fear that it's not going to work and I highly expect that it's definitely not going to work. And I'm going to be swearing my head off by the end of it. Uh, but I'm going to try my best for any of you listening and my mates that are listening that have told me about that. With regards to the show, um, I didn't really have any expectations because I know this show. This is Attitude Era and this is my era. It's my favourite time in wrestling. So I knew all the results. I knew pretty much what happened in the matches. The the only kind of trepidation that I had was the Triple H Kane match and the Undertaker Big Show match because I remember them being fairly boring. I had a massive fear for the Brawl for All for obvious reasons and the end of the uh, uh, Hell in a Cell match as well. But I, I, had, I was kind of a bit of a fear that as I've been kind of going over my head what I'm going to say about the show, that I've got a bit of a fear that I don't know whether you two are going to agree with me or not. And <laughs> I don't know whether I'm just going to... And I can't really go there because I've been told off for, t- for, for giving away my thoughts on it anyway. Um, and then the other, the other fear that I had was actually with you, Matt, because this is the first time yeah. we're doing a podcast together. And I love listening to the podcast. I've said loads of times, met you in Cardiff and you're just like proper nice guy. And um, when I've listened to it in the car on the way to work, some of the things that you say, I have literally shouted out, what? Uh, with some <laughs> of the stuff that you say. So I've, I kind of expect that we might have a bit of an on-air argument here <laughs> with some of the stuff on this show, but we'll see. We'll see. I've done my job by the sounds of it then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a professional troll. That's what he is. Professional Shit, troll. Yeah, and he was he was doing that at the weekend. Did you notice? I, uh, I knew you, you were going to bring. Shut up! No, I he, knew you were going to bring that up. I don't know why it came up loads, but there was a video of uh, Brock Lesnar beating Kofi Kingston that was played ah. loads and loads of time, posted by loads of people, and every single person who posted it, Matt was on them like, "Ah, this was brilliant. This is the best <laughs> thing ever." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that's where you're wrong. This is where I got pissed off, right? Because people were reposting it recently for some reason, and I've seen it every single day, and every single day I said nothing. I continued. 
to say nothing. But then I saw it for about the 20th time and thought, fuck off. I'm saying something. This is awesome. Yes, I'm now stirring the pot. Anyway, never mind. I mean, I've already said the word cunts. So, Alex, you're already in, in, a, in a better way than you were yeah. last time. And that's yeah. twice. Don't you won't you will probably swear more than Matt, but that's because Matt doesn't like to swear. He's a good he's a good boy sometimes. Yeah. A little Christian boy. Well, I'm gonna try and make a conscious effort, whether it works or not, I don't know. Yeah, okay, my my expectations for this show. So this was funny enough, Matt, that you should say this was the last one that you haven't seen. This is the <coughs> first one I managed to see pretty much as it happened. So in February or March of nineteen ninety-nine, my parents finally got sky and cable they got cable and they added the sports channels and not only that but they about three weeks later decided to decorate the living room so they took all everything out of the living room except the cabled box and the tv so effectively i was able and the video recorder so i was able to record wrestlemania 15 and then watch it the next day um first time i'd ever been able to do that first time it was ever in my own control to do so it was an absolute like dear diary moment no doubt about it and this is from someone who'd already been a wrestling fan for five years by this point. So I was like, at last, I was finally able to, you know, watch this stuff controlling <laughs> that I could watch it. So it was the first one that kind of happened and I was able to see it. So that was a big thing for me. But I'm not sure I've watched it since then, which maybe says something about what I thought of the quality overall from the past. Saying that, I didn't think of, think it was going to be a particularly bad show. I just... A lot of the previous WrestleManias, if I've watched them again, it's because either I think there's a lot of good on them or it's nostalgic. Yeah, and, and and I couldn't think of anything from this show other than the main event that I would have ever wanted to go back and watch again. So I was kind of like, not sure that this was going to be particularly great, but eager to see it again, because as I said, I'm not sure I've watched it <coughs> since since that happened. Uh, maybe I watched it three or four times then. Maybe that was the maybe that was the reason I, I haven't watched it since. So long time since I've seen this, but definitely looking forward to it. I, I've seen this loads of times. I've, I watched this live when it was on. It's the second WrestleMania that I watched live. Uh, the first one was wrestlemania 12 but yeah the second this is the second one that i watched live and then i recorded it at the time and then you just used to watch it back or oh, not just this show but other shows from the attitude era and then as i said in the wrestlemania 4 um I, I bought the dvds and bought the anthology and watched it but yeah i watched it live so let's go on to talking points and i think we will do like we did for wrestlemania 4 alex is uh, start with you right okie dokie uh now i've got I've got three. We can only have one. Yeah, we, I know. We I know. need to have some. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> you selfish bastard. I, I know. <laughs> well, one of them, I am. I would bet me pension that someone else is going to have this as a talking point. So I might leave that. I'm going to leave that one. And I've done a load of research on that one as well. But I'm going to start off like positive and I'm going to take it in a bit of a different direction. And I am quite an emotional guy. OK, so I won't be surprised if I get a bit choked up here. Okay. <laughs> so this is basically this is the peak of the attitude era and the my talking point is the pop that steve austin got now i'm not really, really going to talk about the main event because i'll talk about what happened with the pop so i was watching the show and the pop that steve austin got was just phenomenal and at the time when i was watching it i, I had a massive smile on my face and it kind of took me back i am getting goosebumps thinking about it <laughs> and it took me back to uh, you know where the attitude era so i was 16 when this show came out so really kind of important time in my life um it was that transition of, from being a boy to a man as cheesy as that sounds and um every friday night i used to go to my friend's flat he lived over the paper shop on the estate that i lived at 
And uh, we used to watch Monday Night Raw, even though it's Friday night on Sky Sports here um, in the UK. So I, I said before that we were WWF fans that switched over to WCW Nitro. And was that on Bravo? It's on TNT. TNT, yeah. Right, yeah, it was. T- for some reason, I thought it was on Bravo, but I don't know why I thought that. No, Bravo did have ECW for a bit. No, that might be why then. That might be why. So, yeah, so we used to switch over on the adverts. So the Attitude Era and the Monday Night War, for me, is one of, if not the most important periods of wrestling history. And it'll never be repeated. That it'll never be repeated. You had face turns, heel turns, surprises. The show was just two hours of madness where everyone had something to do. Everybody had a storyline. It was rude. It was crass. It was in your face. And it will never, ever, ever be repeated, ever. And at the at the centre of all that is Stone Cold Steve Austin. And in this show, the, when he come out, that not with that pop, the crowd were just ravenous. And I remember watching it live. And feeling the same and feeling like this this 10-month story or whatever it was with Vince McMahon, everyone wanted Austin to win. And that's why the crowd was so ravenous. And we, I remember me and my mates being ravenous, wanting Austin to win. And we popped when Austin won. Uh, won. And the reason why I got emotional or happy was that I was there. I was there. And I feel lucky to be a witness to the Attitude Era. Because, again, it's never going to repeat, be repeated. Wrestling at the time was massive to me because I used to record all the pay-per-views on long play so I could get two pay-per-views on one video. And I just used to watch it pretty much all the time, go home, watch it every night. And, yeah, I lived and breathed wrestling. And I lived and breathed it because of the attitude here. I used to play No Mercy on the N64, Rory's War on the PlayStation before that. And it just took me back to a really important time in my life and wrestling was a massive part of it and I felt so lucky to watch the Attitude Era live because if people go back and watch it now the wrestling's crap the wrestling is shocking right I mean even some of the main events aren't very very good but it's just for me you just had to be there to believe it to see it to believe it Um, and I just my talking point is I just wanted to get that off my chest really because I, I, it was a really weird emotion and I, I had to pause it because I just, I, I was sat there just beaming, beaming, smiling. It just, oh, yeah, honestly, God, it, brilliant. I, just brilliant. I'm lost for words now. Sorry quick, about that. Quick, Matt, step in. He's going to start crying. Yeah, I know. My conscience. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that because, do you know, that's given me inspiration for my talking point, which now... After that, just such heartfelt and, and, you know, almost like lovely speech that you just gave. I'm, I'm just going to take a giant, huge, steaming shit all over oh, it. Oh, nice. Well, Matt, Matt hold, that fault, hold that thought then because... Oh, no, you, actually, no, just go for it. Sorry. You sure? Yeah, you go oh, for it. Okay, I, cool. I can address them both then in one big monologue and then bore the tears out of everybody. <laughs> well, feel free. But um, anyway, uh, the what one I'm going to go with, there was a couple of different things that I was thinking. It is, it's, it's not to, yeah, it's not to take the piss out of you or anything, Alex. So don't panic. No, it's all right. <laughs> Although that would be fun. Basically, the talking point that I would like to discuss is Sable. And there's a particular reason that I want to discuss Sable, because you may remember that on the last pod, when we talked about Sable, we talked about how awesome her performance was at that WrestleMania, considering her experience, you know, fuck her experience level, actually, regardless of her experience level, her performance 
was amazing. And do you know what? And she deserved all the praise that we rightfully gave her. What a difference a year makes. <laughs> do you know what? I mean, I'm not I'm not gonna put solely the blame on her for this, but my God, was this bloody dreadful. Sable versus Tory, yeah, it was just absolutely shockingly bad. And for me, brought up a lot of memories and I almost hate to even take the piss out of it, but it, it brought up memories of of Trish Stratus's sort of early days where she was really trying to wrestle, but God bless her, just wasn't very good, at least during the early stages of her career. They, they really did try, but this was just an awful match. I mean, before the match even, you know, Sable got on the mic and... Let's just say she isn't a natural on the microphone. Um, it, it was very cringy. Okay, you know, I, I kind of admire the fact that, that, you know, she was trying to get a line in there. And I, I don't know if that is a catchphrase. I'm assuming that's a catchphrase that she used quite a lot. The, you know, the women who want to be me, the men who want to see me and all that. But, oh, my God, did that just come off as, as just too cheesy for me? I was so disappointed. I mean, there was a botch with the powerbomb at one point, which, dear Lord, was that awful. I do think that that, some of that may have been on Tori, to be fair. I think she's going to have to shoulder some responsibility and some blame for that. But this match was shite. (laughs) And I'm just really disappointed because, again, I, I thought Sable was one of the stars of the show last time and probably one of the worst things on the show this time. How disappointing. I thought that was going to be a real kind of riposte to Alex's almost teary-eyed, I don't know what, what to call it, to be honest, yeah, celebration, <laughs> celebration, celebration, we call it, of the Yeah, uh, I just wanted to bring the tone down after, you know, such positivity and happiness, and I thought, let's just take a shit on that. Yeah, cheers, Matt. Okay, well, that's great. <laughs> so let me first of all address uh, the attitude era in general then, shall I? Because, I mean, first of all, it's fair to say that I feel... Very, very similarly to you about this, Alex. I was one year younger than you, similar sort of thing, you know, age, time of life, whatever. I think Stephen was talking about how in 1998, people in school were talking, all the people in school were talking about wrestling. That wasn't really what happened in my memory in my school. It was more when we got to this point when people were really starting to talk about it. It's also worth remembering in North America, WWF got more popular in 99 and again in 2000. The the TV ratings were going absolutely through the roof. This um, show was bought by a slightly more, not that many more, but slightly more people than WrestleMania 14. Um, So it was slightly bigger. But it was only really at this time that people really started talking about it. And I would say, again, even more the following year for some reason 2000 really stands out to me as a year where literally everybody knew what they were talking about when it came to wrestling and i think you're right first of all the the match quality in general during the action era is absolutely shocking like it's really a really low point is why i bang on over and over again about the fact that it there is no evidence to suggest that good wrestling translates to successful wrestling promotions there doesn't appear to be any correlation in fact if anything it's the other way around when the wrestling is shit wrestling tends to be more popular i don't know why it just happens to be the case in my view the way i want to respond to alex is what i was going to have as my token point which is the china babyface turn and then triple h heel turn with china back to the corporation so for me this is the storyline moment of the night okay triple h faces kane in one match during that match china who had only two three months before turned on triple h now turns on kane and triple h and china appear to be back together in degeneration x then 
two matches later, X-Pac faces Shane McMahon and Triple H turns on X-Pac and it's revealed that Triple H and China are now part of the corporation um, and Kane has effectively been booted out. Now, this was, for me, really what the action era was. It was this kind of thing, these kinds of swerves, these kind of turns, that kind of stuff. And and I think, you know, you could watch Raw every single week. And it was it was unmissable. It was absolutely must-watch television every week. I, I mean, there's not been a moment in my life where I had to be at a TV screen more than I was when Raw was coming on on Friday night at 10 o'clock. And, and we only had cable in the living room. And so I had to wait for my mum to fall asleep. I've told this story before. I had to wait for my mum to fall asleep every Friday night in front of the television, then switch over to Sky Sports. And then at half 10, she'd wake up, have a go at me and say, well, I was watching that. And I was like, you aren't, you weren't because you've been asleep for an hour. And if there was a time when she didn't fall asleep, I'd start to get seriously annoyed that I could not watch Raw. I mean, it was just immensely important for me to watch Raw. But I do think that it was completely unsustainable. So what you said, Alex, about it, there was always heel turns, face turns, surprises, everything else. It's a good job Vince Russo left WWF at the time he left, what, five, six months after this. Because if he hadn't, WWF's ratings would have taken a turn for the worse in the next 18 months. Because I said it on last week's program, literally everyone other than Austin turned heel or babyface at least once and sometimes many more times. The Rock, for example, started 98 off as a heel, you know, about September, September time turned babyface, then November turned heel again. And by April was babyface once more. I mean, this is The Rock as well. It's not some jabroni down the card. The Rock has been switched three or four times. And that was pretty much the same for everyone. You know, every, nearly every single character turned heel and babyface. And what was happening during the Attitude Era is that Vince Russo and the creative team at the time were breaking all of the conventions that wrestling had set up for decades prior to this point. Now, it's kind of like I've, I've been watching The Office US recently, second time through. And in the ninth season... They start to break the convention of the office because they start to bring in story elements about how the crew are responding to the characters. So obviously the crew are following the characters in the office through and they start to sort of talk about one of the sound guys, for example, becomes a, a semi regular character at one point And he's talking to, to two of the main characters. And they start to reflect on the fact that the show is being released finally after 10 years of following these people around. They're, they're going, they're, and they start to show the characters watching the trailer for the documentary that is going to be aired. Now, you can do that in your final season of a of a show because that's fine. You're not going to have to rely on season 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, because this is your final season. So it's fine to do that when you're ending the show. But wrestling has to keep going and it has to keep going on and on and on. And it's that old jump the shark thing. So the idea, of course, behind jumping the shark is that you do something that breaks the convention of your show so much that it, it's ridiculous. WWE did that loads during 98 and 99 and you if you watch it from wrestlemania 14 to wrestlemania 15 there is a <clears throat> gradual increase in speed and craziness that goes on over the course of that period if you watch maybe from sort of april through to sort of august maybe even october november time it's it's all right it's, it's there's still quite a lot of heel and face turns but it's just about manageable but after that it just gets faster and faster and faster to the point where you can't you can barely keep up Ch china turned against triple h in january of 99 to stop i think it was to stop him winning the title because he was in a match against the rock and he was triple h was going to pedigree the rock on the tape on a table and china stopped him or something like that or triple h was ready to pedigree the rock in the ring in china uh kane had china ready to choke slammer or something and so triple h put the rock down 
I can't remember the exact circumstances, but then China turned on Triple H and was joined and joined the corporation. And it was like, great, that's that was that was a good moment. Two months later, Triple H is fine. He just he just accepts the fact that 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 happened. And now he also is joining the corporation and he's willing to reunite with China, who did that to him a month or two before. Doesn't make any sense. Just doesn't make any sense. It was great when I watched it at the time. I was like, this is fantastic. It's really exciting. And certainly there was that same response from the fans, but it didn't make any sense. It just didn't make a blind bit of sense. And then this whole one of the other key matches on the show, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm kind of scattering the whole show right now, but it's 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 hard not to. Undertaker versus Big Boss Man is rooted in the corporate, the Ministry of Darkness against the corporation with the Undertaker supposedly trying to take over the WWE. But it's re- then revealed two months after the show that Vince McMahon is the higher power. He's been behind it the whole time. And therefore, why is the Big Boss Man being hung up by his neck in the cell? Why would you you would never do that if this was all one big plan? Why is it that Vince allows Stephanie to be kidnapped by The Undertaker when it's all been set up by Vince? It just is stupid. It it literally <clears throat> doesn't make any sense. And I genuinely think that they did it for just about the right amount of time. And if they'd have gone any further, they'd have been in real trouble. And thankfully, when he left, somebody got hold of things, started to calm everything thing down a little bit and planned a little bit longer term with the stories and it it was actually for me turned into what i think is the best year wwe ever had which is 2000 so i i'm with you alex it was an amazing time to be a wrestling fan it was exciting it was super exciting every single week but objectively it's a really bad product and what we saw from vince russo in 2000 in wcw and throughout his entire tna run is exactly the same stuff and every single time it worked to a less and less degree because he'd he got to the point where he's like, well, how do I top this? Well, I have to go even further. And how do I top this? Well, I go further again. It just wasn't sustainable. There's no way it was going to work. So, yeah, that's how I feel about the Attitude Era now. Looking back, I loved it. And I still think, you know, bits of it are really amazing to watch. The the 98, the lead to WrestleMania 14, I think is the best lead to any WrestleMania ever. I just think it's just brilliant and really exciting. I think when we get to 2000, there's amazing stuff. 2001, some amazing stuff as well. I even quite like the invasion. I know a lot of people just like it. I even quite like the invasion. But the the product in 99 is in the toilet. It really is in the toilet. They're just lucky that WCW's was as well. Mm. <laughs> and WCW's was really boring as well. It just, they didn't even have stories. They just they seemed to just expect people to pay for pay-per-views on the strength of putting big matches together, which is you know another thing that I've kind of been railing against all the time we've done this um this podcast and now matt to respond to yours about sable you're in you're right i mean but for me again she was a casualty of vince russo's booking sable was a super over baby face vince russo couldn't see any way to book wrestlers other than to turn them heel or swerve people in some way and so that's what they had sable do is gradually just turn heel forgetting the fact that there was no other wrestlers in the women's division that could be the lead baby face at the time and also not worrying about the fact that there weren't any wrestlers in the women's press. I mean, I say that a little bit flippantly. Ivory had turned up by this point. Jacqueline is still around. She was a good wrestler. The Tori, you know, had, had had a sort of in and out career. She wrestled a bit in Japan, sort of early 90s, but had, had a hiatus for like five years prior to coming into WWE. And then it was only really a wrestler then for two more years. So she wasn't really that experienced as a wrestler either. It just wasn't really 
sustainable as a roster, especially though without Sable to build it around as the lead babyface. But again, Russo didn't have that kind of didn't care ultimately. He just wanted to throw things out there and hope that it would sustain things. So yeah, Sable being a heel was not a great thing for her. She was definitely not as big a star by this point, and it was a shame that they did what they did. And I'd kind of forgotten that she turned tail, to be honest, because it was forgettable. I don't think she lasted much longer after this either. And nor did Nicole Bass, who comes in during that match. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we haven't covered any match yet. (laughs) And we've been talking for 35 minutes. Do do either of you want to respond to anything I've said? Well, yeah, with regards to the attitude, I, I completely agree with you, Ben. Yeah, I completely agree. And it was it's clear that Russo had his time in WWE because he went to WCW and messed it all up. He probably did more bad than good. And again, I, you know, Survivor Series 98, I think that was all down to him and that's just a masterpiece. Mm. Um, but there's other stuff that he did not, not very well. But it, it was, and like the higher power, I remember, watch, I remember seeing the higher power and when it was Vince McMahon, I remember being like disappointed. Yeah, me too. You know, so a lot of it, you know, there was times where I'm not saying that every single show was like, wow, but it was unmissable. That was the thing. It yeah, was unmissable. Do you talking like I was 16 and then 16, 17 and on a Friday night, I'm going to my mates watching wrestling and I'm mm. 16, 17. I should be trying to get into the pubs and chatting up the ladies. And, nah, uh, no, I was watching that. wrestling with my mates. You know, it, like, it was unmissable. It was unmissable. No, I, I think that's really interesting, actually. The higher power. I can, I legitimately can remember being disappointed when it was mm. turned out to be Vince. I was like, well, well, that's rubbish. That doesn't, I mean, I didn't think it made no sense. I was just like, it's not a surprise. It's just not interesting. Yeah. And it possibly was the first time I was like, oh, I'm not sure about this. Like, we're just doing the same thing again. Are we Austin McMahon? We've just done a year of it. It was fantastic. This would have been the perfect end point. And it looked like it was going to be because on the rules after this, Vince kind of takes a step back and Shane becomes the new main bad guy in Austin's viewpoint to the point where basically i think the episode either after this or the one after that overall shane is told by vince just give austin his smoking skull belt back just give it back because he was fraught with worry for stephanie who'd been who'd been kidnapped and shane didn't and held on to it and baited austin and then it was going to be basically austin you know against shane and with potentially now vince on austin's side as well because mm-hmm. austin saved stephanie from a crucifixion at the hands of the undertaker and there's a there's a episode i think it might be the one straight after this wrestlemania or the one after that where ken shamrock basically walks out on the rest of the corporation because he's angry at the way they're treating vince mcmahon and it was legitimately one of my favorite ever moments in Raw when Ken Shamrock walks out. Like he basically turns babyface in that moment. Vince thanks him, finds Stephanie, thanks him, and then walks out. Vince uh, walks out of the corporation. And then looking back when the higher power thing happened, I was like, well, that doesn't make sense either because Ken Shamrock would know mm. about this master plan if it, if it was all a big master <clears> plan. Therefore, he wouldn't walk out on them. It just doesn't. It just doesn't hold mm. together. And I know this might be seen as being picky, but these were each of the major moments with characters turning babyface or turning heel so it's fine to not always make perfect sense but when you're talking about really major moments for quite big important characters that has to make sense otherwise it's just the whole yeah. thing falls down falls down like a deck of cards i do you know, i agree and when you mentioned the kidnap the, the stephanie kidnap thing that is my favorite moment in raw history i love that whole episode because she gets kidnapped she puts on the crucifix thing in the middle of the room and they're doing the, the ceremony Mm. And it's Will Austin and a few from, you know, other wrestlers come in to try and save the day. And then the pop when Austin's music starts is unreal. 
And what I love about it is that when he rescues her, she hugs him and he just stands there. He's like, I can't hug you back. And Vince McMahon <laughs> hugs Stephanie and he's, Vince McMahon is saying to Austin, thank you. And it's like, oh, God. I Honestly, I'm getting goosebumps. It's my favourite right, Raw <laughs> moment of all time. It is absolutely... Go out your way to watch it if you haven't seen it. It is fantastic. And that, with the higher power does shit on it a little bit. It's still my favourite moment, but I know I completely agree with it. It does shit on it a little bit. You know, there's so much to be able to say after all that, but I, I'm not going to go for too long because I know we've, we've got for yeah, quite a bit. No, I'm sorry, my fault. Uh, no, 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 no <laughs> totally fine. Um, it, It's interesting now. There's a couple of things in there. Like, one of the things I find particularly interesting now, I didn't, as people, you know, may or may not know at this point, I started watching, um, certainly started watching Raw in 2001. So, a lot of this stuff, again, I hadn't seen. And, you know, I've gone back and seen clips and seen some episodes here and there, but I hadn't seen all of this. Particularly with the Vince as the higher power thing, what I find particularly interesting is obviously because, you know, you guys said you certainly saw it at the time and, you know, we're a bit disappointed. Revisionist history, at least the opinion that, that, I, that I seem to have, you know, discovered is that that was a cool moment. I mean, again, I haven't seen it in full, but, you know, if I think a lot of people tend to praise that I, I certainly if you were to watch wwe programming and, and see you know documentaries of that time and stuff like that you often see that as a, as a really cool and interesting moment so it is you know quite quite interesting to, you know to, to certainly hear you talk about it fr- from that perspective and one last quick thing is that you know hearing you guys talk about how you know sort of destination viewing raw was has actually made me a bit sad <laughs> because of how much it's not anymore and I do agree with you I mean at least you know for me when I first started watching it you know I mean my god I had to see Raw each and every week I used to have to time record with uh, with my VCR which I can, can't tell you how happy I was when I eventually learned myself how to time record and the, pro- the problem I always had with time recording is my dad who's quite the night owl would always have to leave the channel. He'd have to leave it on Sky Sports before he went to bed. Otherwise, it would time record whatever the channel was on. And the amount of times I would wake up the next morning, I tried to watch Raw first thing before school. I always would wake up super early to try and see it. And I'd go to see it, you know, quickly check to see what's on there, and it'd be fucking golf or some <laughs> shit because he left the wrong <laughs> Sky Sports channel on. And I just go mental at him for it. But, you know, I had to see Raw. So I, it was always important that I see it. And like I said, it's it's made me sad. Like, I mean, it was years ago now. I, I couldn't even tell you the time of when I stopped watching Raw on a regular basis. I mean, with, with YouTube being so big now, I pretty much just catch the highlights of Raw on, on YouTube, really, just to, to know what's going on. And we'll occasionally dip in. But, yeah, I mean, the, the, I can definitely certainly remember a period in my life where it was every single week you have to see it. And it's how, how sad is it now that, you know, you could easily go months without watching Raw and not miss a bloody thing. And that's just quite sad. Mm, it, is. It, it is sad. It is. And I want to be really clear about this. It's really easy for me to con- criticise Vince Russo's work during this period. But it was stupendously good watching it at the time. It was. I think I even said this to him. Like, I, you know, because I didn't just think it's important for me to say when I worked with him on WrestleTalk, did some interviews. We didn't just do the WSW stuff. We did a whole bunch of stuff about WWE. We did some stuff about TNA. We did all kinds of different things. And with the WWE stuff, I was like, look, it was massive. It was it was amazing. You know, it really was amazing. And it, it completely, it boomed, the, it popped the industry. The, the entire industry popped because of what 
Russo and, and Ed Ferrara did as part of the writing team in WWE. It's just it had a shelf life and it, you know, someone else needed to step in at a certain point. And as I said, I think luckily for WWF, that's what happened without them even choosing to do it. I think Vince Russo himself chose to do it, obviously, and went to WCW. So let's talk about, shall we, some of the matches we've just mentioned. So first of all, you've Matt, you've obviously talked about Sable and Tori. Alex, what did you think of that one? Yeah, I haven't made a load of not. It isn't very good, but I totally forgot that Nicole Bass comes in at the end mm. so i was quite surprised so even even though it was a bit pants it did leave I, I remember watching it at the time and thinking right well that's something that we need to watch raw for to see find out what nicole bass has got to do with all this so even with a, a crap match there is still something at the end which i quite liked i did quite like but yeah i you know i've got terrible dive to the outside tory can't punch crap bridge and Michael Cole says, tremendous action for the Women's Championship. No, it's not, Michael. And that's my notes for that match. So, yeah, no, not very good. But, again, a, a, a cliffhanger ending, for want of a better word, I suppose. Who this the is... hell is Nicole Bass? <laughs> so she was briefly in ECW the year before. Or maybe not briefly, actually. She was there for a while, I think. That's but what I've heard her name before. She was famously the person who jo- Joey Styles said she should be called... Uh, Asia because she's bigger than China. That was that was oh, uh, right, is, okay. is cool. I think that's what it, it was. Either Asia or you know something something else, some other yeah. geographic. Um, I didn't know it was her. I, I've heard that comment before, but I didn't know it was about her. Yeah, and but then she came in. She had a brief period where she was in a relationship with Val Venus, which is, happens in the next couple of months. I don't know how she goes from Sable to that. I assume I, I seem to remember Sable was going into renegotiation for a contract. She wanted loads and loads of money. WWE weren't willing to give it to her. And then she kind of disappeared from television. So they had something they had to do something else with Nicole Bass. And originally she kind of showed apparently some attraction for Val Venus. At first, Val Venus was kind of like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want anything to do with that. And then kind of apparently decided it took his fancy and they had a bit of a relationship and then she left and i think she left under a cloud because she herself claimed that there was some perhaps sexual um kind of harassment within the workplace in wwe i don't know i can't remember the details of it at all to be perfectly honest but i'm pretty sure that's how her time ended and i think she did file a lawsuit against wwe later on so she was she was she was barely there about two months maybe maybe not even that to be honest and nothing she did lasted for any length of time. I think mainly because the Sable thing obviously went out of the window pretty quickly. It's not a very good match. It's it's not the worst thing on the show match-wise, but it it nearly is. This was it was a shame because as I said earlier on, Sable was a big star, but this it just wasn't. She was a heel, and she, I don't think it didn't work. This is where I think Matt, what you said when we first when you first saw Sable talking, which is on the In Your House. Um, would have been in your house over the edge 98 when she and Mark Merrow had their match where Mark Merrow conned her into thinking that she he was going to let her win and then didn't and you were like she's got no charisma <clears> she's <throat> not she's not whatever she's not excited she's got no talent basically the the truth is that you're not far wrong she she wasn't that talented she wasn't that charismatic but it didn't matter because she played a character that people invested in when they turned her heel it now mattered she needed to have some talent because otherwise she couldn't maintain the heat on her she couldn't 
convey this heel in any, with any kind of really real gusto. So that's when it really shone through. They just needed to keep her a baby face and she would have been she would have been fine. So that's the Sable Tory match. We also discussed. Let's talk about the Hell in a Cell match because we did hit upon that a little bit here. And I, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to go to the main event just yet, which we obviously have talked about as well. So why don't we go to the Hell in a Cell match? Is the Undertaker versus Big Boss Man is a match that lasts just under ten minutes. Uh, it ends when the Undertaker tombstones and pins Boss Man. It's the aftermath that this is better remembered for, uh, because afterwards Edge, Christian, and Gangrel drop from the ceiling onto the, the roof of the cell. They feed a noose through the roof of the cell and Undertaker puts it on Bossman and then the cell is lifted up by Paul Bearer using a device and Bossman hangs effectively. He's he's left hanging by the neck in the in the middle of the arena, basically above the ring. Matt, I know this is the, exactly the kind of stuff you love, so why don't we go to you? <laughs> Oh my God! And Why don't you start with the match? Do you know that that's a good idea? Let's leave the attempted murder for a couple of minutes away. Um, as far as the match goes, I mean, it was just it was it was pretty boring and it was pretty dull. I thought, and what's interesting about it is that I thought that you know, particularly with Hell in a Cell being a pay per view currently with WWE over the last you know sort of several years, that there's been some really bad you know, Hell in a Cell matches that just had no reason for, for sort of being a Hell in a Cell match. And I thought we'd seen the worst of that. And to be honest, this is right up there with, I was thinking, I mean, okay, other than for the purpose of hanging him afterwards, what was the point of this? I mean, you know, even then it was meant to be a big deal and it, it just felt blah. You know, it, it was just very bland, very boring. You know, when Taker scored the victory by the tombstone, I literally just went, oh, that's it. I was like, you know, that's that's your hell in a cell matches it, it it was just very very boring and as you said i mean the the majority of you know what was remotely interesting about it if you're going to say that was is the aftermath with with the basically hanging boss man i mean let's let start with the the diy attempt of, of the brood trying to break into the cell for a start did they even give them like actual tools i mean you could see sort of Gangrel just stamping on the mesh to try and create a hole. I was thinking, for the love of God, you're meant to be, a, you know, a ridiculously professional company. Surely they could have given them something to, to quickly try and get the hole in there so they could open up the cell. And, you know, again, as a professional company, I'd like to think they could have done that. But no, no, it's like, we're going to smash through, you know, this with our brute force. So th- that was at least mildly funny. And then, yeah, there was the the attempted murder of, of The Undertaker trying to kill Boss Man by hanging him. And, you know, this is not the first time on the pod that we've talked about attempted murder in a wrestling match as well. Where The last time I thought it was incredibly dull, and, and this time too. This is meant to be fun, escapist entertainment. And okay, I realised if ever there was a time where they were particularly edgy and doing things over the top and things you'd never seen before... It was this moment. So they have some form of creative license for that, but this just went beyond it. And the crowd, you could tell they didn't give a shit either. There were times where, you know, they they booed before, but like this, they were quite quiet and just, they they didn't didn't want to see that. You know, this is not what you want to see from rest. At least that's what I personally think. And it's just in poor taste and there's no need for it. I, I, I'm convinced the only reason they've done it is just so they could say on commentary that, oh, you know, this is the Undertaker symbolically hanging the corporation. You know, you can say that line without the fucking awful imagery on the screen. 
But that's what they went with. Yeah, this was a giant thumbs down of a, of a match and a segment. Right. Well, the match first. First of all, the video package at the start, I thought was fantastic. It, it just showed how bonkers Raw was. And I particularly want to point out Shane McMahon on the phone, you know, when he's trying to ring, ring the house and he's all frantic. It was fantastic. It wasn't like wrestling acting. It was like proper acting. But yeah, I thought the video package was was amazing. And I've got a kind of a bit of mild kind of fantasy booking around the whole show, really, uh, which I'll come on a bit later, a bit later. But the boss man has never done it. No, Tarolai, he was brilliant in like the 90s. But this this carnation he'd never done it for me and i think it would have been better with test um in this match i just think it would have been a bit more this might be the first argument that we have matt i just think it would have been a bit you know at what? the time he was young and like the, the hired gun and this that and the other i'm not saying the match would have been better um i'm just saying i think it would have been a bit better but that by the by and you'll see why i say that later on undertaker's music is awesome and he looks amazing in that cloak he looks absolutely, he looks massive and he looks very intimidating and very scary, but he just looks amazing. And I've got that about the crowd being, it's the more silent they've been all night. Now, I did say earlier on that one of my fears was about this match and I, and I seem to remember it being quite boring and I seem to remember like not being that entertained on the night. It was actually a, the match I didn't think was, it, I wasn't bored. I'm not saying it's, it, you know, it's, it's one of, on a scale, it's probably one of the worst matches on the night, but it was nowhere near as bad as I remembered. Now, whether it's because I was in this big euphoric attitude era sense of mind or however you want to put it, I don't know, but I didn't actually think the match was as bad. I loved it how Michael Cole was talking about his finger. He trapped, he trapped his finger in the mesh or something like that and then King completely jumped on it. Jumped on it. And then when The Undertaker was busted open, the king says, Oh, you worried about his finger. I thought that was quite good. I think it's safe to say that the smaller cell is miles better than the bigger cell. But yeah, the actual match, nowhere near as bad as I remember, but the aftermath. And this was one of the talking points. It wasn't the talking point that I was certain one of you two were going to pick, but this was one of my talking points. It is awful. It is in such poor taste. And it is the second worst thing on the show the aftermath now in, in my profession i've seen sites like this i've seen unfortunate people who have hung themselves and it is a you know it's an image that, that you know that'll stay with me and it's something that shouldn't be made light of in this sense and that it is that's what it is it's made light of now films are different and for some reason the, the first thing that comes to my mind was 24 hour party people uh, when they show um, Ian Curtis when he's hung himself. But it's part of the story and it's treated in a respectful way and it's emotional. This wasn't treated in a respectful way. It wasn't emotional. It was just done for shits and giggles. It was done to try and get a wow moment and it is completely in poor taste. It's wrong. It is wrong. It's done. It was just done for, rea- for reactions. I'd like to think that Undertaker, the boss man and the brood didn't like doing it. And it never led to anything either. It was just, a, it, it was horrible, a horrible thing at, at the end of the match. Yeah, not good at all. Yeah, the match, I didn't think was as bad as I remember, but the aftermath was awful. I think you've covered the uh, moral objection to this visual, so I will leave that there. I think that's been well covered. And I will refer you to the 35 years of uh, WrestleMania book. Which, uh... <laughs> Do you know what? I've got that on my Amazon wish list. I'm going oh. to get that book. Ah. You keep, every time you mention it, it I'm, like, I'm going to get that book. 
to be honest, promoting it was not the idea that I had from <laughs> yeah. uh, from sharing it with you. And the reason I brought this up is that I will quote the uh, 35 Years of WrestleMania book on in terms of this particular moment, and that is... All good bookshops and Amazon.co.uk. <laughs> so, so the quote is... There you go, because they're actually mentioning it at all, uh, understandably so, because they too are ashamed of the fact <laughs> that this happened. Oh, I was ready for it then, but that's fantastic. I generally didn't see that coming then. Well no, done. No, I didn't. Six twists and turns all the way. They don't mention it, and understandably so. Um, the match itself, I agree with you, Alex, actually. It wasn't good at all. Let's, not, let's be very, very clear. But I think having seen it before <laughs> and thinking this is one of the worst matches in WrestleMania history, it helps going in with that. Oh. It helps going in with that thought, because then you go, oh, it's, it's not the worst match in WrestleMania history. It's just a very bad Hell in a Cell match, very underwhelming match for a Hell in a Cell for The Undertaker at WrestleMania. It was just the time when they used Hell in a Cell all the time. There was like Hell in a Cell matches a number of times on Raw during uh, 98 and 99. Like it just got used a lot at the time. Undertaker, we talked about the babyface and heel turns to The Undertaker as well. It's very, this big thing for him. So he's a babyface, WrestleMania 14. By the uh, end of the year, he's a heel. Then in the early part of 1990, he turned babyface again because he's up against Vince McMahon and the corporation. And then he joins the corporation as part of the minist- corporate ministry and becomes a heel again. So four times for The Undertaker as well. I mean, you could see that the point is, is that if that had just carried on, none of these people would be stars. <laughs> they would have just lost all of their aura about them. They had to not do this anymore. And as I said, thankfully, it stopped. In The Undertaker's case, it stopped because he got injured and couldn't do anything for a while. And that was probably a good thing, too. There's a huge positive in this well, I don't know about for everybody else, but definitely for me, the huge positive in this is by the next time we cover The Undertaker, thank God it's not going to be in this bloody dead person zombie persona, which, let's make no bones about it, I've said, I don't like it. I much prefer his American badass type stuff. So thank God we'll actually be able to talk about him as if he's a legit real person and not a fucking zombie. Yes! So I, I think one day we're going to have, have to have an episode about this because, well, as we've said to you, Matt, off air, I, th- I think, and I'm thinking, I'm saying we as in me and Tom, because we were talking about this a few weeks back. The American Badass is one of the shittest things I've ever seen in wrestling. I hated the American Badass, to the core of my soul, and the Undertaker was no longer special. He was just some old fart guy that no one gave a fuck about and was really selfish. It just, it was rubbish. It was just rubbish. He kind of turned it around a little bit, but he turned around after the point where I was paying attention. I'd kind of went to university by the time the Undertaker kind of started to do some interesting things, like the stuff with Jeff Hardy, for example, which was quite good. I was gone to university by then and it just wasn't just wasn't for me anymore. Um, I'm not a big American badass fan. However, one of the best re-debuts, I think, at Judgment Day is fantastic. It is brilliant. And the pop as well that he gets there. And I believe me and Tom said that that's the only moment of American uh, yeah. badass we liked was the was the return. <laughs> yeah. was it. Matt, I don't want to disappoint you, but Ben showed me the, the schedule and you're not down for 17 or 18, but you're back in for 20, apparently. So I don't oh, know. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry to let you down, but fuck no. that. You're in them all, I think. So don't worry about it. <laughs> kidding. So we still need to cover some of the bits and pieces that we talked about in our talking points. <clears throat> I think we'll leave the main event for last, but we will talk about the two matches that I talked about. My talking point. First one of those, of course, is Triple H versus Kane. Um, now, as I said, this was sort of came from the fact that China had turned on on Triple H. 
earlier in the year. Kane was kind of a reluctant member of the corporation. He'd been turned on by The Undertaker and Vince was threatening effectively to put him in an insane insane asylum because he was Kane and was disturbed. So Kane kind of was beholden to the corporation without actually wanting really to be part of it. And so this match came, Kane versus Triple H. Triple H and DX were kind of quite a big part of the battle here between the corporation and everyone else really. It went for 11 and a half minutes. It ends when Kane hits Chokeslam, then tells China to hit Triple H with a chair. Instead, she hits Kane in the back. Then Triple H is DQ'd, but Triple H hits Kane with the chair and pedigrees him on the chair. Triple H and China then reunite to the cheers of the crowd. And I would say as part of that, that China is wearing the least practical pair of shoes that's ever been created. Massive stiletto heels in a wrestling ring just don't work. Matt, why don't we go with you? So it's funny because I, I was just, as you were going through the finish thing, man, I was just looking through my own notes and I, I confused myself with, with my own notes then because I like the last thing I got, one of the very last notes I have is just block capitals, shite finish. I just thought, hang on. I was like, it's a pin and finish. Well, it wasn't that bad. I'm sure it was fine. Then I went, oh, no, 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 no. No, it wasn't, was it? And we will get to that in a minute. But there's a couple of things to, to sort of, you know, pick, you know, unpack from this. I mean, the, the, the Pete Rose chicken attack at the start okay Pete Rose loves Kane wants to beat the shit out of Kane get to him cool why not I was fine with that I I mean Teddy Long's who was the referee, his face was just a picture as uh, Kane, <laughs> you know, kicked friggin' Pete Rose's ass. Just the look of just pure, just shock on Terry Long's face was a sight to behold. So that was funny. Um, I, I have to point out, like, th- there were many signs uh, in the crowd throughout this show that I did see that I was thinking, wow, there's some bad ones. I mean, th- there was one, I, I'm, I'm sure it was, I need to poop. Um, I was like, okay, that's thanks for sharing that one. That's interesting. But then the one that really stood out in this, and there is no offence meant when I when I say the sign that, I, that I'm about to say, but big red retard, which my God, does that stick out <laughs> when that was on camera? That wasn't I just think- a sign. That was said to in promos i'm absolutely certain that was said i think, I think was, even the rock said it yeah it? i was going to say i think it's the rock that did that fuck <laughs> that's awful but yeah okay that that was a side of the crowd that really does catch your eye but yeah the the, the match it, it was it wasn't bad i mean it, it's, it was fascinating to, to hear like michael cole say that you know you'd expect triple h to be the underdog and i mean again I, like i said earlier I, I started watching 2001 onwards so triple h was damn sure not an underdog by that point so to hear him referred to one it blows my mind so so that was you know certainly strange kane did one particular bump which i just thought was so beyond stupid he, he kind of tried to to jump over the top rope i, I don't know if he was like a kind of you know plancher type thing kind of like what the undertaker does i suppose he was he was looking for that sort of thing but he's he's so like clunky and awkward that it, it literally was if he just threw himself over the top rope with just totally no regards for how he would land and I just, it was such a stupid thing to do but that that was bad um there was a couple of um couple of sort of stiff being thrown thrown into the steel steps i'm going to talk about this a lot throughout the show because it seemed to happen about 20 times in every match the steel steps was were probably the biggest part of the show that happened a few times it happened in this match so that, that there was that and then like i said then we get to the finish china does the distraction hits kane with the chair and they go for a disqualification i don't know how many times i've got to say this 
I'm going to try not to get too upset about it because it's just pointless at the end of the day. There's just no need for it. They easily, if they wanted to screw Kane over, they easily could have just pinned him. There was no reason why they couldn't have. Stop with the stupid DQ finishes. It's a waste of people's time. I'm fed up of it. They could have beaten him and... Yeah, whatever. Like I said, that that really put a downer on this. And it wasn't the, the best match in the world, but it turned something that was passable to shit. Just stop it with the disqualifications. I'm out. I mean, I agree with you in the sense that they didn't need to, this to be a DQ. It should, it could easily be an opinion. It probably should have been. But it's not important enough to care that much about it, Matt. It really isn't. Like, this is not a big deal, this match. It's really like they're, they've got the main event, Steve Austin versus The Rock. That's what matters on this show. Don't worry about anything else. <laughs> the, the result of this match doesn't matter. And as, and as we've said earlier on, it's not really about the wrestling at this time. It's really not. It just offends me. It does at this point. Well, we'll come on to the finish shortly. So I said earlier about that I had, there was two matches that I thought that I've seen to remember being quite boring. And I seem to remember this one being quite boring. But I didn't find it quite boring at all. I thought it was quite fast paced I thought it was quite hard hitting again quite surprised I, I, I wasn't there was a little bit of dread when it came on and I you know really enjoyed it just going about the Pete Rose and the chicken thing I think it's brilliant but I think that they should have gone all in and I think they should have done it at 14 at 15 done it they do it at 16 but I think they should do it at 17 18 19 and just keep going as long as they can go just keep having Pete Rose getting tombstone then turn it into a thing where at Wrestlemania 23 he's trying to avoid Kane do you know what I mean I just think that they should have gone all in. I think it would have been fantastic. It might have been one of the things that was sort of goes on so long that it goes from being unfunny to that funny again. But anyway, that's just me. I thought the crowd were quite quiet until China comes out. Teddy Long, yeah, I got that as a referee. I'm surprised he didn't make it a tag team match. But the end, so the end is that China is turning on Kane to reunite with Triple H. That's that's the end goal in this match. So I think that the DQ is the perfect ending for the match. I think it's a perfect ending for the match. <laughs> he's well, he's all down. 100% it is how, how could it not be the goal is China is turning on Kane so China comes in with the, with a chair he says it Triple H with it he turns back she wallops Kane with it gets disqualified it's perfect ending for that match if that's the story that you're telling the story that you're saying is China is turning on Kane and Triple H and Kane, uh, China are going to be together obviously we know what's coming on later it's the perfect ending for the match for me I thought it was good I mean I, I, I don't really agree with either of you because I said it, it, to Matt's point there's no need to get worried about it it really does not matter like it's not that important <clears> but it it's not perfect. If you're turning on someone, you don't want to help them win the match. Yeah, but right, you've yeah, but you've got to suspend <laughs> your disbelief. You've got to suspend your disbelief a little bit there. Because I know I know that you don't like DQs, and sometimes I don't like them, but matches can't just if they just ended in pinfalls and submissions, it'd be boring. So you've got to have some you've got to have a count count out and DQ, but if only if it matters for the story. And I think that, that matters for the story. I think I think it was a perfect ending. In my, per, my personal opinion. I agree that you've got to have some count outs and DQs. And I don't, I don't have a problem, especially if it's not important, especially if it doesn't make a difference. If you do it in the main event, I've got a serious problem. But anywhere else, yeah, I don't really mind too much. I just think that if you're gonna if you're gonna turn on someone, do it so that you ensure the guy you're turning on with wins <coughs> the match. Surely, otherwise, what's the point? You know, you may as well do it after the match. Yeah, I just don't. And to the point. Well, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. <laughs> it's still perfect. Shut up. <laughs> no, no, but it's, it's, it's like the shock factor. The, the shock factor's there in it. If anything, she should have hit Triple H with the chair and <laughs> got and got Kane DQ'd and then then turned on on Kane because it makes about as much sense as turning on Kane in the first place, given that she'd already <clears> turned <throat> Triple H a couple of months before. Well, everyone was turning all over the show, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, totally. So this match for me was as good as the Undertaker Boss Man. I didn't think either of them were that great. I was a bit bit 
fed up with didn't really interest in either of them i think this was probably more interesting but for me there was far more telegraph stuff in the king versus triple h match just nearly everything they did was really <coughs> telegraphed you could see it coming from a mile off and in the undertaker boss man match which something i didn't say at the time i thought the undertaker worked bloody hard to try and make something of the match he was working at a real good pace he's throwing himself all over the place as much as he could at the time and let's not forget that it was only about six months after this he had to take time off for the knee knee injuries that he had so i think he worked really hard and i think that combined combined with the kane triple h match seeming everything to be kind of signposted well ahead of happening put them on a on a par and so i wasn't overly impressed with that match yes we've now got this sort of su- suggestion this sense that dx are back together triple h and china with the rest of dx even doing a sort of promo together just before the european title match where triple h says that china's back home and dx is whole again and when they're together there's nothing stronger we then have shane mcmahon versus x puck for the european championship shane mcmahon going in as champion uh it's an eight minute 41 second contest and in this one, after X-Pac hits the X-Factor, China distracts the referee and Triple H pedigrees X-Pac turning against him and then places Shane on top of X-Pac to give him the win as the referee turns around. After the match, Triple H attacks X-Pac. The Outlaws try to make a save, but Test and Triple H beat them down too. The lights go off and Kane's music comes on <coughs> and he walks to the ring, at which point the corporation Scarper. So, Alex, let's talk to you first. What did you make of this one? Right, let's see the reaction. My match of the night. <laughs> you don't have to be the polar bear with just your match of the night every time you come on, Alex. It's, it's, <laughs> no, right, okay, yeah. It, I'm, it, getting, it was, I'm getting comfortable for it's, this. It's, <sighs> it's, my, it's my match of the night. So um, I remember, obviously I remember this match and I've always had fond memories of this match and always really enjoyed it. I remember the feeling that I got when Triple H turns on X-Pac at the time. I remember, it, you know, at the time being quite shocked and pissed off at Triple H and it's all about and again I remember at the time Shane McMahon getting his comeuppance everyone wanted to see X-Pac kick his ass basically now so I I kind of expected this was going to be my match of the night but I was toyed between before watching it it was going to be this or the main event after watching the show this blows it out of the water and I'd even go as far to saying that if I was to compile a list of my top 10 favourite, not best, favourites WrestleMania matches, I reckon this will be in it. Because it completely encapsulates every, the attitude area in one match. You've got heel turns, you've got outside interference, you've got shenanigans going all over the show. And in the middle of it, you've got a, a bloody good match. You've got a decent match. Shane McMahon, pretty decent in the match. And I don't like Shane McMahon. I don't like seeing him wrestle, but I think he's pretty good in the match. X-Pac is so underrated. He's so underrated. He's a fantastic wrestler. He's a fantastic worker. And he, he, he unfairly, I mean, especially in, maybe you might have taught me out here, Ben, maybe 2001, the invasion, maybe. He, he unfairly gets a lot of shit and he just doesn't deserve it, deserve it. He's brilliant. He's very underrated, in my opinion. The crowd love it. And again, I put that, it, you know, everyone wants to see X-Pac win and he's just up against it from the start. Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe come out and attack him on his way down to the ring. Mean Street Posse, I love their abs- uh, absence, no? The presence at ringside. Test is presence as well. And it's one of those where you just, he keeps overcoming these odds all the time. And then right at the end, he gets the kick in the balls from all the pedigree, so to speak, from Triple H. And uh, Shane McMahon wins. Hated it when Shane McMahon won. Hated it at the time. Hated it now, even though I knew what was going to happen. I've put Shane wins, absolute joke, but in a good way. Shane McMahon in this, he's, I am going to swear here, 
Shane McMahon is an absolute cunt, but he's really good at it. The spoilt brat that you just want to see him get battered. And he's phenomenal at that. And the last bit as well, Billy Gunn, Billy Gunn nearly clears the ring again. I'm sure he used to clear. Every time he did a running, he used to just slide right across. Uh, and I love the bit at the end with the uh, New Age Outlaws checking on X back. <laughs> and I laughed when Road Dog said, that big nose son of a bitch is going to get what's coming to him. Yeah, it is my match of the night. I thought it was fantastic. Well, that's, that's very much each to their own opinion <laughs> type of thing, isn't it? I, I can't say that I thought this was, was particularly bad, nor can I say that I thought it was particularly good either. I mean, the, the one thing I, I will definitely agree with you there, Alex, is that I do think that Shane McMahon was shockingly not too bad in this. Mm. You know, he, he was perfectly acceptable from a from an in-ring perspective. I've seen far, far worse um, sort of performances in the ring from people that, than Shane here. So fair play that that wasn't bad. It was a bit boring, I just I thought. I mean, the, the entire thing was was Shane trying to run away, x trying to catch him, you know, Test was there at ringside as your big bodyguard to, you know, to, to help X and to help X-Pac, uh, to help Shane. You know, the, the Bean Street Posse were there, you know, in the crowd and just, I, I don't know. I mean, again, I, I do feel that the Steel Steps played a very important part in this, as I said throughout the show. It just, for some reason, it was just a moment where, my God, they hit those steps and it, it felt impactful. But there we are, that there was that. Test did do a kind of sort of, you know, I'm sure he like crotched X-Park, you know, on the ring post, which I haven't seen it done like that before. So that was cool. <laughs> yeah, um, I winced at that bit. I thought it was awful to look at, but pretty decent. Yeah, pretty yeah. I mean, I was like, what was that? I mean, yeah. So, you know, sort of pick, pick, picked it up, you know, dropped him forward. And I was like, OK, that's that's cool. I, other than, you know, sort of those points aside, I mean, I, <clears> I didn't think there was that much to it. I mean, I, I must admit that I, I can't stand the Bronco Buster. I, I'm... <laughs> Oh my god, just what a shit move. Just, just, oh. <laughs> no, sorry, Alex, just no, it's just, <laughs> he's going crazy, I love it. I mean, it, it's clearly just designed to humiliate it. Hey, use my crotch in your face. I'm going to jump up and it's just, it's just shit. It's shit. The, but that's I, the essence of DX. Oh. And what's what I love about it, and it happens this, when they reverse it, it makes you wince big time. When they block it, sorry. Or every time you see it, it makes me wince. Well, it's a brilliant know, move. Do you know what you know what's a bigger fuck you? Kicking their ass, beating them and pinning them. You know, that, that that's you know better and cooler, but no, that's can't can't stand the Bronco Buster X Park and do one with that. And and you know, th- this is admittedly the, the Brit in me now, but a, a, every time I <laughs> hear them announce his finish as the X Factor. I just cringe just because of the TV talent show. Uh, I know. I, I, I quite like the finisher, but oh my God. As soon as I hear X Factor, I'm like, oh, cringe. <laughs> yeah, so there's that as well. But yeah, I mean, it, it, like I said, I, I don't think this was that bad. It, it wasn't that good. It, it was it was perfectly fine little thing, it, you know, sort of in the middle of the show. Okay, you know, the turn at the end. Yeah, okay. I, it doesn't really bother me. It was neither great nor bad. I did find it quite funny at the end, though, where, you know, like you say, we, we, where Road Dog and Billy Gunn, uh, Billy Gunn, Billy Gunn, uh, Billy Gunn came out, and Road Dog was obviously having a chat with Michael Cole while he was on commentary, and I can't remember the exact phrase he said, but Michael Cole said that, oh, Road Dog's going to be threatening to get him, and, you know, he sort of shouted over to Michael Cole, yeah, you're damn right, and, you know, and that just made me chuckle. But yeah, other than that, eh, not, not, not bad. Which way am I going on this then? I First of all, I can't believe you think this is match of the night, Alex. But not because I think it's bad. It's just that the main event is so much better than this match is <laughs> untrue. But having said that, if the main event wasn't here, 
this would also be my match of the night. I think this is a good match. I think this is a really in- enjoyable, entertaining match with a good little thing on the end. I think it suffers a little bit from the fact that in every match, first of all, Matt, you brought it up, the still steps get involved. But also every match, there's some form of interference of some kind. And it is a, it's testing me a little bit by this point. And to be honest, the main event almost falls down a little bit about for, for that too, because there's just tons of it. There's tons of things going on. So I think this one suffers for it. But I do think this is a fun match. I, I also agree with you about X-Pac. I think he's a very talented guy. I don't think he deserved the shit that he got in, I think, 2000 and 2001. He kind of really just suddenly got this real go-away heat. It was very odd as well, because in 98 and 99, I would argue X-Pac was one of the most popular wrestlers on the roster. And it just flipped out of nowhere. It was, I think it was entirely as well down to character. Not anything to do with what you usually get, which is, oh, we don't think he's a very good wrestler kind of thing, which often is the, the thing that gets people booing. I think it was entirely about his character. I think his character was very in vogue. It was very of the time. And for some reason in 2000, that just completely flipped. And suddenly it became this really grating character to people. But in in these first in the two years since he returned i think he he was what he was really popular and i think his work overall is really decent i think he's a very very good wrestler very underrated but yeah i i don't have a problem with it. i think it was a decent enough match i can easily stomach shane doing this stuff because he's not throwing himself off buildings he's just having a match and he is a relatively athletic guy so you know it means that he can actually have decent matches with the right opponents and I think X-Pac was the right opponent here. Obviously, what happened after this with X-Pac and Kane, so after this point, Kane kind of became an honorary member of DX because he was kind of now on their side. X-Pac and Kane became a really popular oddball tag team over the rest of the year. And so X-Pac was still really, really popular for the whole year. You know, I, I do think it's a good match. I think it pales in comparison to the main event. That's why I'm aghast that you've made it your match tonight. Well, you know, I've got reputation on this podcast after two. Oh, this is the second episode. But I mean, I, I have got. Listen, before watching it, I knew it was going to be this or the main event. Watching it, I, I just had to pick this because there's things that I think that I didn't particularly enjoy about the main event, and we'll get onto it. We'll get there. We'll get, we'll there. get onto it. But there wasn't anything that I didn't like about this match. Not one thing. Not nothing. So I'm going to leave it there for the first half of the show. We've got a lot to cover in the second half, though. So I uh, hope you got your your game faces on. We'll be back in just a few moments. Nothing, man. We just can't have a WrestleMania without the Heartbreak Kid, now can we? I wish. I agree with that. Now, I'm a little disappointed. After 10 years of being with this company, I had to buy a ticket to get in this place. But I'm not going to hold that against you. I'm not going to hold that against you. In fact, what I want to do is get down to business with you. See, Vince, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. You have got to read that rule book. What? Now, now I know you're a busy man. You've got so many things on your mind, but priorities, Vincent, Priorities. Had you taken the time to read that rule book, you would see that it states that there is only one man who can appoint an official 
at WrestleMania. Uh-oh. Wait a minute. And that one man is not you. But I'm going to give all these people one guess on the one guy that gets to make that decision. I think we got it. Now, in case your Whistler 2000 isn't working, what they just said is the one man that can make that decision is the heartbreak kid. McMahon doesn't like that. So what I would like for you to do for me now is take that Jack LaLanne physique of yours. Jack LaLanne? <laughs> get the hell out of here and don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. Wow. The owner is seething. Okay, welcome back. So. Now it's time to finally go back to right to the beginning of the show because uh, we can now run through everything. We've hit all of our talking points, apart from the main event, but I think that's fair enough to leave that for last. We start with Howard Finkel introducing Boys to Men for America the Beautiful. Thank, thank goodness for that. Thank goodness for that. We, we've not, WrestleMania 14 and 15 have not disappointed. There's some booze at the start for Boys to Men. There's a, it was a strange fit, a boy band at this time in, in the Ashton era, but this is a damn decent a cappella version of America the Beautiful, I think. <laughs> I think they do it. I think they do themselves proud. I think this is well sung. It's not easy either, that rare talent to be able to harmonise four ways live in front of a crowd, and they do. They pull it off. I think it's really decent. It's good. Yeah, I agree. It is good. It is good, yeah. And quite big at the time, Boys to Men. Quite a big... Not sure big they band. were at this time. I oh, think right. three or four years before they were quite a big deal. I think yeah, at this well, point they were probably a little bit after their their prime. Yeah. It's quite a long time after um, End of the Road that there that there is. Yeah, I think so. I, I don't. I mean, I'm more, <laughs> of a, I'm more of a Backstreet Boys man myself. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so we move on to the WrestleMania intro video with voiceover by Freddie Blassie. So once again, Blassie's uh, heavily featured here. I, th- I like this again. I thought it was just it was a really decent start to the show. I think WrestleMania. I think at this time, the kind of nostalgia and the sort of emotive language and emotive way that they presented it was was just held back enough to not make it over the top. I think these days they make it a little bit over the top, but this hit the right note for me. I thought it was really quite good. Yeah, short short and sweet. That's what I wrote, short and sweet. I loved, loved it. it. It made WrestleMania feel like a big deal. Uh, yeah, I completely agree with you, Ben. This was one of the better ones that, that, that I thought they'd done, to be honest. I, I generally got goosebumps you know, mm. <laughs> watching when I saw this. I thought damn this is a damn good one they utilize freddie blassie pretty well during the, these time and, and crazy because he, he hadn't seen him on screen for years and years and years prior to the sort of 97 98 99 and then you know i know you didn't like it we did the wwe attitude advert that, that me and steven really loved um at WrestleMania 14 which which was on raw every week as well um and then they did this and they also had him give the sort of speech for the team wwf prior oh. to the uh, at the end of the invasion um yeah. he's just he, and and to be honest it's not surprising that he added value the guy was a talker that was his job for you know <coughs> main job yeah. for his career and fight yeah 
then there's a big firework display and then we get our commentary team michael cole and jerry lawler now this is at a time when jr is suffering quite badly from bell's palsy and he had been suffering for for, for three or four months by this point he'd although saying that he'd had a brief stint in february as a heel manager of steve williams which was really strange um but michael cole was on commentary and it was actually quite i think that was quite fun because i, I seem to remember sort of jr making a big deal of michael cole having stolen his place at commentary but by this point they'd moved on from that already again shows you how quickly mm. things were just being chopped and changed because they were just chucking stuff at the wall all the time and that's why michael, michael cole's on commentary what do we make of this teaming I thought they were actually all right. Um, they've been far worse together. Um, <laughs> I've heard sometimes where they really haven't meshed, but you know, I felt they were all right. It was, I mean, it was nice to to hear Jr. You know, later on when he when he came back, but yeah, I felt they I felt they did a good job together. Yeah, I thought they were fantastic. In particular, Michael Cole. I thought he was absolutely fantastic in this because in terms of how he is, I mean, the start of the show is so frantic anyway. When they open up, you've got all the pyro and then the signs, and we'll come on to the signs in a minute, but there's so many signs and Michael Cole starts at 10 and just doesn't go under 10. He just goes up, keeps going up. But what he's good at doing is obviously, like we've said, every episode of Raw, it was bonkers with so much stuff going on. And what he does fantastically in this show is he sums every storyline up in every match and he says if you remember King this happened remember King this happened and even if you weren't watching it I, I can't remember everything that happened in Raw but he paints the picture perfectly I think throughout the night I thought he was I thought he was fantastic and again he's very underrated he, he, the one, and, and, and I love it that you guys love him because I love him as well he's got one of the hard, probably the hardest job in wrestling listening to Vince McMahon in his ear all the time and he just smashed out the park every time I think he's fantastic he is now a, well, I mean, I guess he, he first commentated in 1997, right? So he is now a 26-year veteran of WWE wow. commentary. There aren't, I don't think anybody's done it for that long. No. I mean, Vince did it for a heck of a long time, and I don't even think he was there for that long. Or, yeah, I think it was more like 22 years or so when Vince mm. did it. So I don't think anyone's done it for as long as him. Still doing it. And he's still really the voice yeah. of WWE. And I, I said yeah. to you before, like I think there's a generation of fans now who probably do think of him as the voice of, of wrestling and there will be people in 10 years time bemoaning when Michael Cole's no longer here they'll be like oh I really love Michael Cole you know he was you know and I'm talking about people who've grown up only listening to Michael Cole they'll be like oh, oh he's my favorite commentator I loved him he was he was the guy who I listened to when I got into it kind of thing so you know, it's strange to say but there's a whole generation of people who will be in that position now I think there's a strong argument that he's the GOAT. Oh, wow. Great, I do, honestly, I do. Or because the fucking phone. <laughs> no, no, I, I, really, I really do. I re- honestly, I really do. Don't get me wrong, I love JR, love JR and King, love Vince McMahon's commentary, but the stuff that he must have to put up with and the, the job that he has, I don't envy him at all. And he, he just he knocks it out of the park every time. I'm not saying he is, but I'm saying that I think there's an argument to be to be had. But well, that's not another time. Yeah, let's not have that <laughs> argument now. I haven't got time for that. Yeah. So we go to the first match of the night. It is the Triple Threat Hardcore match for the WWF Hardcore Championship match, a seven-minute contest between Hardcore Holly, Al Snow, and Billy Gunn. It's won by uh, Hardcore Holly when, after Billy Gunn hits a famouser on Al Snow onto a chair, Holly hits Gunn with the chair, then pins Snow. Hardcore Holly is the Hardcore Champion for the second time. Let's go with you, Alex. What did you think of this one? Yeah, I thought it was decent. I thought it was a pretty good opener. Typical hardcore match from the Attitude Era. When I was start, when I was starting watching it, the commentary, the crowd, the signs, 
everything was going on. It was so frantic. And that, I put this is the attitude era with an exclamation mark. Um, just going on to the signs very quickly. I did see a sign that said during this match, oh my God, Raw killed Nitro, you bastard. Now, if anything screams 90s wrestling pop culture, it, it, I think this was a time when people used to bring South Park characters dressed as The Undertaker and South Park characters dressed as Austin. But just a really, really quick side note on the signs. I know that we are going some time. But I, I just wrote down a few for the night that I saw. Casey is fat, thought I was a bit tight. I don't know who Casey is, but I'm sure that they're lovely, whether no matter what size they are. Do you think um, it's um, Casey, I, Casey of the Sunshine Band, maybe? Yeah, yeah possibly. I don't. It, it, are they fat? Is she fat? He fat? I don't know. I know <laughs> who they are, but I don't. Yeah, I've not got a clue. I toss salad. Thanks for telling me about that. Um, I've got. I have to poop. I've got that one. Did you know that Gabby has nice boobs? <laughs> I don't know who Gabby is. I don't know who Gabby is, but I'm sure she's got cracking boobs. This is 1990, so I assume it's Gabby Roslin. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant, yeah. It probably could be. It could be. Foley316 says, got life insurance. That was another one. Um, <laughs> Cheeks, I don't know who Cheeks is, but apparently Cheeks is gay. I mean, <laughs> so what? It's up to a minute. Pork is kosher. Um, I might have an issue with that. Just one that said, good evening. We want the hitman back. I'm pretty certain that might have been Tom, who's gone back in time and <laughs> stuck a sign up saying that we want the hitman back. And my favourite was drunk since 3.16am. And <laughs> there are all the signs that I noted out throughout the night. Uh, I just thought I'd mention that now while we went on to the signs. So sorry about that. But anyway, back to the match. Yeah, it was decent. We're in an era of unprotected chair shots to the head. Not nice to see. But, you know, we, we, if we're going to watch these shows, we're not going to avoid it, are we? So that's quite unfortunate. Yeah, I thought it was decent up. I thought it was decent. So, uh, Matt, obviously, Al Snow, just, uh, not Al Snow, Bob Holly, Holly, Holly is your favourite wrestler of all time. So, uh, what did you make of this one? Yeah, the the, the, the guy who won it, it, it did put a bit of a sour note on it for me because, let's face it, that guy is a gigantic prick. But, you know, whatever. I have a funny feeling that this is probably one of those matches that at the time was probably a lot better than what it is now. I, I don't think it's probably aged very well at all. I, I don't think that the type of hardcore sort of style of match has, has aged very well at all. I, I can definitely imagine at the time just thinking, oh, you know, cool, you've got all these different weapon shots, that's cool, you know, hit them with a hockey, you know, with a hockey stick, ha ha, that, that's awesome. I think it was like a concessions tray or something like that at one point, just like, oh, you know, that, that would have been great, but to, yeah, today it's just no, it, it doesn't hold up very well. So for that reason, it, it, it was was okay I, I definitely put down that it was, it was definitely quite decent i do really like billy gunn so anytime i see billy gunn i love the fame asset as a finish i just I, I just think that's really cool. Yeah, like I said, the, the the guy who won it, no, just not a fan of at all. Interestingly, you called it the fame asset, and you're the first person I've heard call it that for a very long time. So I always believed it was the fame asser, mm-hmm. i.e. fame asser, but over time it's become the famouser, as in famous-er. Oh, no, 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 and no. And the commentary well, don't call it a fame asser either, I don't think. I think they call it a famouser. Now, it might be just that they're saying it really quickly, but yeah. it hasn't sounded like fame asser for a very right. long time to me. And, but I do remember it being called the Fame Asser, and I was like, that's surely the name of the move. But yeah. I, I, I thought that over time it had changed to Famouser. But I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I'd imagine Fame Asser, but there we go. I think these matches appealed, certainly when they first came along, because they were they just offered something a little bit different, a different visual. Like the they even talk about on commentary the month before at St. Valentine's Day Massacre, Bob Holly and Al Snow had had a match for the hardcore title, which had spilled out of the arena into the Mississippi River. 
it's quite a famous kind of moment just because it went there. It wasn't a great match by any means, but it was just because it went out of the out of the arena and into, into the streets and then out to the river. And I just think it just gave the, sh- the visually something different. And I think this is where the issue is with modern, more hardcore style matches is that they are they look exactly the same and feel exactly the same as everything else on the show because the everything's understandably and rightly more safe now so it's all like gimmicked up everything that they use is completely gimmicked up it's not a you know it's a gimmicked up chair it's a gimmicked up guitar it's a gimmicked up this and that and the other they didn't use even though they do use a table in this they didn't use tables ladders and chairs as much back then in these kinds of matches in fact you just saw a lot of other stuff a lot of different stuff again probably because they didn't care about gimmicking the the weapons so they just were oh we'll use this that'll be fun and i think that's why it was and i and i think it's a mistake though for them to put it on first because it doesn't establish that baseline of the normalcy that you will get on this show it doesn't allow them to do that and that's really good when you do that because then if you put a hardcore match in between two other things it then lives up to its strength which is it's something different whereas here it obviously it being the first match didn't feel like something different just felt like well this is what we're doing i thought it was all right i wouldn't go back and suggest anyone watch it <laughs> i wouldn't recommend it to anyone but it was it was okay it wasn't it wasn't boring or anything so it also is the first multi-man singles match or multi-way singles match on a wrestlemania show so last time we had the first no the time before was the first multi-way tag team match this is the first multi-way singles match and there happens to be two multi-way singles matches on this show talking about multi-way matches obviously at wrestlemania there's going to be the three-way between sheamus drew mcintyre and gunther and it has since this period been an absolute stain on wrestling that they cannot get away from multi-way matches i don't know why they just can't get away from it. well i know why it's because it's lazy it allows them <clears throat> much like this match to take a match that they did a month ago and just add another person that's why they do it it's just easy it's just lazy it means they don't have to do anything they just use the same feud but extend it by another month with an extra wrestler so yeah since this period that's been a major stain on wrestling and it continues to this day which is a shame so up next we get highlights from the battle royal that took place on the pre-show which actually was a sunday night heat i would imagine uh, which was won by test and dilo brown which means they will face Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett for the tag team titles in the next match. There was one other match on Heat, and that was Jacqueline versus Ivory in a singles match. That was all the women on the roster, therefore, having had a match at this WrestleMania. Also in the Battle Royal, these are the other participants that were involved in the Battle Royal. We've got Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge of The Public Enemy, who were around for about three months, possibly even less at the time. Viscera, Gilberg, Animal and Hawk, Skull and Eight Ball, Scotty Too Hotty, Farouk, <coughs> Matt Hardy and Jeff Hardy, very early appearance for them. Midian, Brian Christopher, Steve Black and Bradshaw and Tiger Ali Singh. Must have been must have wrestled about three or four pay-per-views, and two of them were at least two of them were on the UK only pay-per-views because it wasn't important enough to use on American ones. But we got the shit matches, so they brought Tony Tony Rally singles. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that pay-per-view, the UK one. I want to say it was No Mercy, and it was the first match Tiger Ali Singh versus Gilberg. I think it might have been, yeah. And that was on pay-per-view, and we bought it. Me and my mates bought that. And that was the first match, and we were like, oh, dear. Tag team titles are up next. Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett defend against D'Lo Brown and Tess, the makeshift tag team again. 
just to get D'Lo Brown and Tesla on the show. Basically, that was all. I think this is a little bit unforgivable, to be honest, because on this show, you've got Road Dog and Billy Gunn booked in multi-way singles matches. Just don't do that and have them face Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett for the tag team titles. Isn't that just the most obvious thing in the world? Sorry, Alex is going nuts because I'm assuming I've taken his thunder as part of his, uh, no, his, no. his alternative <coughs> booking. I love it that we're on the same page. That was my <laughs> alternative booking. Well, I'm sorry, Ben, I interrupted you with my crazy faces then. <laughs> no, but I think I think it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense. It's not like they're pivotal parts of those two matches. Yes, they're both champions, but they didn't need to be. They could have easily not had them win those titles on the way to WrestleMania. Put them put them up against Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett and have a tag team match with New Age Outlaws, who are still to this point the most popular tag team in the company. No problem at all. It just doesn't make sense to not have them in this match. This is only four minute four minute match. It's not up to much really. It ends when there's an argument between Deborah and Ivory, who Deborah's in Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett's corner, and Ivory's in Delo's corner. Test gets distracted by this. PMS also come to the ring. That's Jacqueline and Terry Runnels, and they argue with Ivory as well. They'd previously had a bit of a run in with her apparently. And then in the ring, Delo goes for a power bomb, but oh, but Owen Hart hits a missile drop kick off the top, and Jarrett pins him. Matt, this is probably going to end up being the the shortest and analysis of a match ever because there was nothing in it for me to really take notes of it was just very 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 unnoteworthy and um, probably one of the only things that sort of stuck out to me is uh, is owen hart hitting a cool looking gut wrench suplex other than that i mean the, the the jackknife cover was cool by jeff jarrett at the end but other than that this was this was very very bland and just far too quick to, to really develop into anything so yeah that's that's about all i can really say there's no need to to, to really watch this yeah i agree I mean, it, it's not bad. It's not good. It's just there. Well, that's Matt's catchphrase you've just used there. Yeah, <laughs> well, I know. Maybe we're on the same page with some things then. But, you know, part of that was, I agree completely. New Age Outlaws versus Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett, and it should have opened the night. And do you know what? I think that they could have even got away with having Al Snow versus Hardcore Holly in another hardcore match. I think they could have got away with it. And then that's where I would have moved Test to the Hell in a Cell against Undertaker. I, I think it would have been a better opponent than Big Boss Man. I honestly think that. I do think that I think it would have it would have looked more of a threat than at the time than Big Boss Man would have done I, I don't necessarily disagree with that I think that's possibly right but I don't think it matters about the threat I think the Undertaker Boss Man is not a particularly interesting match I don't think it sold yeah. anybody on the show and I think Test yeah. being a young guy who at the time they were pretty high on that would have made much more sense going up against the Undertaker and having that moment against the Undertaker just I, I, I think you're right I think that would be a better use of that Undertaker match on this show excellent Matt don't agree but I, I'm glad you do the other thing to bear in mind is Test has had two matches on this podcast covered before and both for both of them he won MVP from someone oh, right. uh, well you'll be pleased to know Matt that Test isn't getting my MVP tonight. <laughs> I, I think you'd I literally think that you would have walked out and not come back Owen Hart is wasted in this match he shouldn't be having this match and even Jeff Jarrett I know that not a massive fan but I don't mind Jeff Jarrett he's what he is but yeah they should be they should be playing the New Age Outlaws uh, playing fighting wrestling the New Age Outlaws <laughs> So you should uh, be play one, fighting together. Yeah, play fighting. That's what they're doing. That's what wrestling is. <laughs> um, just one, one note about a move. I thought tested an, a great powerbomb on Owen Hart. I, I felt it when I watched it. I thought it was cracking. But yeah, it, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, well, well, I weren't offended by it. It was all right. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I don't hate Jeff Jarrett. I just think he should never have been given the opportunity to be a main event guy by anybody ever. He's a perfectly serviceable mid card act. Yeah. 
no problem. I agree. Yeah. You're still featured in a high profile position today, really. <laughs> and that's the bit I really can't understand. This is obviously a bit sad because it's the last Owen Hart appearance at WrestleMania because obviously he passed away a couple of months after this point at Over the Edge 99. Not going to go into the details of that because lots have been said and I'm sure we, we may talk about it again in the future. But ultimately, the last we see of Owen Hart on this journey. And talking about last, we get another one in the next match. It's the Brawl for All match between Bart Gunn and Butterbean. There's a hype video, first of all, before it, where they show Bart Gunn winning the Brawl for All tournament and got a little bit of footage of Butterbean as well. We then see a bit of Isaac Hayes in the crowd, who was, of course, also part of the South Park clan. And we also see Rodney and Pete Gass of the Mean Street Posse in the front row. Howard Finkel then announces the special referee for the Brawl for match, Vinny Pazienza, who was also, I think, at WrestleMania 14 to see Tyson. I'm pretty sure he was in the in the crowd at WrestleMania 14. And then he introduces the outside judges, who are Kevin Rooney, Chuck Wepner, and Gorilla Monsoon, who gets a standing ovation from the crowd. And this is the last we see of Gorilla Monsoon on our journey as well, because he also passes away later in the year. He is clearly already quite unwell at this point. He's lost an awful lot of weight since the last time we saw him on the on a WrestleMania. Yeah, I've got that. It, he looks ill. Uh, he's very sad. I know I did put that he did look a bit like Leonard Rossiter. Uh, oh, what a slip, shout that is. With his, with his slick back hair. I mean, I'm good with these celebrity lookalikes. I, I picked out the ghost of Christmas past from Scrooge in the WrestleMania 4 episode. And now we've got Leonard <laughs> Rossiter at ringside. I remember seeing him on at the time when I watched it live. And we when we saw him, me and my mates, and it only came up at the bottom, Gorilla Monster. He's like, that is not him. That is not him at all. It really, really didn't look good at all. i got to be honest. There is no way I would have bet that if Leonard Roster came up on this podcast, that I wouldn't be the one to bring him up. That is unbelievable. Yeah. Shocked that someone else did. Oh, I love him. I love Leonard Rossiter. I love Rising Damp. Massive fan. Ah, see, I love the Rise and Fall of Reginald Perrin. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Like that too. There we go. Also, I've only ever known him to be in two films. One of them is 2001 A Space Odyssey and the other one is Oliver. So, legend. Um, I'm literally right. googling Leonard Rossiter. <laughs> what? Leonard Rostow was um, the undertaker in Oliver. And I don't know. I mean, I don't. I only watched 2001 A Space Odyssey once. And that was the only thing that I liked about it was that Leonard Rostow was in it. I didn't yeah, know. I think he's like he's he sat down at a table in a spaceship in here or something or some sort of commercial spaceship or something. It's a long time since I've seen it, but I remember seeing him in it as well. Yeah. I mean, I think he died in the 1980s. So likely, Matt, you wouldn't have heard of him. If anything. I, I'm looking at his back catalogue. I haven't seen a single one of these. He's, he's also been in Rising Damp in a movie. Does that count, <laughs> does that count as a movie? <laughs> no, not really. No, no, doesn't so then we get the Butterbean Bart Gun Brawl for All match. Lawler suggests to Cole during this that he might not want to bring up the fact that Bart beat Steve Williams in the tournament because obviously there was some backstage annoyance at that fact. After 10 seconds, Bart goes down. Then as soon as Bart gets up, Butterbean knocks him out and we have our winner, Butterbean. And at the end of Bart's WWE career, would go on to have a modest career in Japan after this. But uh, yes, never seen again in WWE. And this was, I think, and I'm not absolutely certain, but I'm pretty certain you didn't see Bart gun at all between the Brawl for All tournament and this match. And the Brawl for All tournament had happened in like July of the year before. So they pretty much, they had the Brawl for All tournament. They injured a bunch of people in the process. They'd also other people look like jabronis that they didn't want to look like jabronis. So obviously Steve Williams was knocked out. They didn't want that to happen. They were hoping Steve Williams would be an opponent for Steve Austin in the future. They'd done all that. And then they'd come out of it. Bart Gunn was the winner and they didn't use him. <laughs> they didn't use him at all. They didn't do anything with him. I think Brawl for All obviously is... It was a ridiculous idea and ridiculous concept, but what a way to end it here. I I don't know if this was set up like it was almost like, well, he's not he's got he's not got a chance. So let's just do this and get it over and done with. But I think 
there's a time when WWE would have just gone, let's just forget it even happened. It, they didn't need to bury it, and yet they did it here. Very, very strange. Matt, I'm gonna talk, gonna ask you about your thoughts on this first because this is in a way WWE trying to create their own combat sport, which is madness. Yeah, but they did it. <laughs> yeah, um, I had a funny feeling. Yeah, then you'll probably come to me first on this. Um, it's it's a really, really strange one. I mean, probably the the best thing I can describe it, and I've literally I've written it in my notes, is pretty much what a totally pointless exercise it, it is. What it pretty much turned out to be. I mean. Yeah, I mean, for for the for the people who you know who've listened, it, it's no secret that, that I'm certainly a massive MMA fan at this point, and certainly in a lot of wrestling I watch today, that the, for me there's a lot of similarities with the pay. But I, I'm okay with doing things different in wrestling. You know, it's okay to change things up, and you know, if you want to make things a bit different, like if they wanted to do like a tournament. Yeah, or like a maybe like a I say a shoot. I mean, it was a you know it was, it was a complete shoot, wasn't it? I mean, if they wanted to maybe do a worked tournament where there was a little bit, there's a little bit of MMA involved, but they could still control the result. Because let's face it, that's that's why you know the you book wrestling is because it's important to be able to control the result. And you know when you when you don't book the at the end, uh, you know the end winner, you get shit like this, things that you can't really control. And it was it was it was a total waste. I mean, you know. What it was ten seconds maybe? I mean, you know, straight away, you know, Barkin just gets knocked down almost immediately, gets back up, and then pretty much straight away, bam, he's down on his ass and out again. And just it was just you know it was over quickly. They just destroyed one of their own guys for absolutely no reason whatsoever. I I don't I don't recall seeing Butterbean on on WWE programming or or anything afterwards or even being remotely hardly talked about. It just seemed like an an absolute waste. And and in a way, I I, I think they probably just thought, thank God it was over that quickly and we can just forget about it. But yeah, um, th- this is why they they should just. They should have just stuck to booking wrestling as as they knew how to do, and yeah, leave the MMA stuff out because they yeah they, they didn't know how to do that. So they, this was just bizarre. What about you, Alex? Right, I will preface what I'm going to say with 16 year old me would have lapped this up. Right, it, I'd have, I'd have loved it. I'd have it, I'd have been off the couch. Wow, oh my god, did you see that? Okay. So that being said, for me, this is the worst thing on the show. And the worst thing, not in terms of match quality, just the worst. I just hated seeing it. Now, when I said that I'd bet my pension on what one of the, the talking points, I honestly thought someone was going to pick the brawl throw. I honestly thought someone was going to pick it. And I did it as one of mine. And look at the notes that I made. I don't know if you can see. Like <laughs> a full page. I even watched the Dark Side of the Ring today episode on the Brawl for All. If anyone hasn't seen the Dark Side of the Ring, it's fantastic. But in particular, they said it's really, really good. Uh, has anyone ever, has any of you two seen it? The, the oh, no, Brawl for All episode. I think I have, but I can't remember much about yeah. it. So yeah, it's obviously this the this tournament is ridiculous idea, and it's all because Vince Russo had an issue with JBL because JBL was backstage saying that if if it was a proper fight, I'd kick everyone's ass. So Vince Russo thought, right, well, I'll tell you what, then we'll have a proper, we'll have a tournament then and see if you can, if if that's the case, just so we could see JBL get battered. Now, we've had 16 people. Godfather got injured in it. Carl Ule, I think you pronounce his name. He, Jean- he got injured in it. Jean-Pierre Lafitte. Yeah, I thought it was him. I did, I did, I thought, I did think it was him, actually. Dan Seven very wisely dropped out because he uh, won the first round and thought, hang on, if I lose here, I'm going to, my reputation is going to go downhill. So he dropped out. Steve Williams got injured as well. Like Jean-Pierre Lafitte. He had one eye. Who puts him in a who puts him in a fight when he's got one eye? It's ridiculous. 
And it's all because Vince Russo wanted to get one over on JBL. And on that show, there's Vince Russo and James, Jim Cornette. And Vince Russo doesn't come across well on it at all on the show because he, he just he's quite happy with the fact that he booked this tournament because of that. And Jim Cornette comes off really well on it because he's really pissed off with Vince, Vince Russo. And Bart Gunn wins the entire the entire tournament. And then he was promised at the start that the winner of this tournament will get 10 grand, not 10, 10,000 dollars. I said ten grand and an opportunity at Austin, you know. So that so that's why he, that's why he did it. He wasn't doing anything at the time, so he entered the tournament. He wins the tournament and he gets sent home. He gets sent home and he sat at home doing nothing. And then that's when they've said about this. Uh, they've called Butterbean and Butterbean on the show says he thinks he was called in as punishment for Bart Gunn winning the tournament because it was wasn't designed for him to win it. Now that's what Butterbean says. Take it with a pinch of salt. But they've put a wrestler in a boxing match against a boxer and it's bullshit it's awful like talk about trying to protect your employees you're not going to put if you put a boxer in a wrestling match with a wrestler which yeah you know they've done but it's it's predetermined it's rehearsed they've put a wrestler in a boxing match against a boxer absolute disgrace Vince Russo is just horrible I will big up Vince Russo with some ideas like I've said the deadly games tournament but this sucks it's awful and his reward for winning that tournament is that he gets put in a match against Butterbean gets knocked out and he gets sacked disgraceful absolutely disgraceful he's you can tell he's shit scared in the ring anyway he doesn't look with it he doesn't look right and he just and, and the actual punch is the, the second one is I mean I was dreading watching it and it's awful it's just awful the whole thing the whole thing is just a joke and it is one of the worst things in wrestling and it's it's just horrible and what thanks what thanks did Bart Gunn get because he was get he, he was promised summer wasn't doing anything backstage decided to join a tournament won it and then got twatted by Butterbean at WrestleMania brilliant Fant- and then got sacked fantastic brilliant <laughs> anyway I know I mean it's absolutely I mean that's that's absolutely fair I I think as I said the full tournament stupid stupid idea it's not Matt like you said the whole point of pro wrestling is that you book it you can't book it if it's a real tournament you don't get the desired results <laughs> I mean, in fairness, I would argue that UFC, mixed martial arts in general, try to book matches that they can know the result of because they're trying oh, to build yeah. certain people up. <laughs> but in this case, they didn't even have a clue who was going to be any good because they just assumed that Steve Williams was a great fighter and apparently was a very tough guy when he was younger. But by this point, he was in his 40s or late late 30s. He wasn't as tough as he had been. And they didn't get the result they wanted. And then having had that happen, they could have easily gone, you know what, sod it, we'll just put Bart Gunn in a raw main event with Steve Austin and have Steve Austin beat him. At least you got something out of it. You know, at least at least the company itself would have got something out of it. And instead, they don't. They just they just let him basically sit at home for six, seven months. I think he did go to all Japan, actually, in, in that time as well. And then come back to fulfill his contractual obligations to WWE and get knocked out by Butterbean. What I found was interesting about this, as you said, Alex, was the knockout and the number of kind of replays they had. Obviously, the time to fill now because this match had lasted 30 seconds. But it also reminded me why I don't like combat sports because I don't like seeing it. I don't like seeing people get knocked out. It does not do anything for me and I actually find it quite disturbing, if I'm honest. And that's why I don't like mixed martial arts or any other type of combat, whether boxing, anything. And so I just watched it. I was like, I don't want... And so as the replays are going, I just turned away. I was like, I don't want to see it again. I've seen it once and that was more than enough. I didn't even really want to see that. I'm not going to watch it again in slow motion from a variety of different angles. That has no interest for me and is actually a negative experience for me. So it's one of the 
reasons I watch wrestling is that I know that yes, some people get hurt, but it's not a that's not the that's not the desired outcome. Whereas I guess I would imagine promoters of combat sports do want to have people get knocked out because I assume they're relatively spectacular and uh, highlightable in the in the future of you know and and at the time. So yeah, it's just not for me. And that's and this reminded me of why it's not for me. I made I made a note about the re- sorry Matt I made, I made oh, a note right. about the replay thing and it screams to me that Vince McMahon's backstage saying show it again pal show it again pal show it again pal and it's that I mean I might be wrong though but that's what I thought because they showed it a ridiculous amount of time and if that's the case it just the whole thing just the whole thing's just awful it awful the worst thing on the show for me Paul Bartgun. Do you know it's in all fairness, in all fairness, to Alex, I think I think you've done a really good point there of of really highlighting of how really fucking egregious this was because I, I I get what you say, Ben. You know, like combat sports, you know, not for everybody, and and there's plenty of people I know who you know if they see like a big knockout, you know, they wince and, and don't like it. So I, I totally get that, but it, it is so much worse when you do see it happen to to like a, a person who just got no business of, of somebody with with like no right real fight training to see it happen in that way and for people to even book it that way knowing that that's going to happen it's irresponsible massively irresponsible absolutely i mean you know make no bones about it you know combat sports are fucking dangerous there's a reason you know that when they when they do happen they have doctors physicians they go through training camps and all this shit you know because it is bloody dangerous and to get a hit like he had you know like the knockout that barker had is potentially life-changing and to do that all for well for nothing you know really it it really is quite quite egregious and and you know fair play to you for, for really pointing that out it was bullshit yes indeed now um up next after the brawl for all was finished I think I don't know if this has been put together off the cuff. Someone's just sent the chicken out because they've got more time to fill. I don't know. But Pete Rose, I assume it's still Pete Rose at this point, comes out. This is before the Kane match later on and um, dances around and messes with Pazienza and Pazienza gives him a punch and knocks him out. It's definitely a worked punch, though. Don't worry. This one's not real. Um, and Pazienza is not very good at throwing a worked punch, which is understandable. If, if you do it for real for a living, it must be very, very difficult to not throw it and do it well. I wanted to say, actually, there's another. We talked about uh, WrestleMania 14, why Kane was the guy who tombstone Pete Rose. And uh, I wanted to kind of explain why that is because I figured it out. It's because uh-huh. when he was a player, Pete Rose's nickname was The Big Red Machine. Aha, there we go. There you go. There's the, there's okay. the link. There's the link. We then get some footage from Heat of Big Show and Mankind brawling backstage as Austin arrives in the background. Big Show had been sent to watch for Austin to uh, enter the building, but obviously got distracted by Mankind. Kevin Kelly then interviews Mankind, who talks about wanting to be a part of the main event, but not being given the chance, having been screwed out of the world title by the Big Show in a ladder match against The Rock on Raw in February. That is then next, the Big Show versus Mankind. The result of this match will determine who the referee is for the main event. It is a match that goes for six, just under seven minutes and ends when Big Show gets himself disqualified by hitting Mankind with a chair too many times, which I'm sure Matt was absolutely delighted about. So before we go to you, Matt, let's talk to you, Alex. What did you think? Yeah, overall, 
again, I thought it was good. I was entertained throughout the match. Just a few points. You might be able to help me with this, Ben, because I've no idea. Um, the Fink's announcement was piped in for the big show, but not for Mankind. But I have no idea why. I was going to ask that. Yeah, I yeah. thought it really piped in. I, hmm. I have no idea why. It was like I, it was recorded over. I didn't notice that. I did oh, not right. notice that. Yeah, I wonder really... whether wonder whether or not the, he didn't have his big show music yet and they gave him something else. And therefore, once they dubbed over it, they needed to pipe in something Maybe. as well. Maybe. I don't know. I, do, I didn't hear it, so I yeah. can't really comment. Yeah, but yeah, I thought that, you know, little things, Mankind spray painted shirt and the referee shirt is fantastic the big show was blowing out of his ass quite early on in this match he was very he was a tired big show and then i'm gonna i am gonna be a hypocrite here i am gonna be a hypocrite because the wrestlemania 4 episode i went off on one about the endings and how someone's been de- why that why is that not a dq and this has happened you know inconsistent now this happens in this match but i actually didn't care i was all right with it because I was just entertained throughout. You know, there was low blow by mankind, and I thought, yeah. And then there was chair shots, and I thought, well, I'm loving it. I'm, I'm well into this. I'm well into it. And then, obviously, yeah, the chair shots were. The, the, there was the DQ at the end, which I get that is a plot hole, but I was just along for the ride. And yeah, I, I thought it was good. I, I did not like that bump that mankind took when Big Shaw just fell backwards on him. It's no wonder Mick Foley's knackered uh, with taking bumps like that. There's, it didn't add anything to the match. It just wasn't really needed. But yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. <laughs> I, I'm, gl- I'm glad you mentioned about um, Mick Foley taking bumps at ice because for, for me, that, that that's kind of the story of this match. And it's you know, the last time we saw Mick Foley as well, it, I, I got a bit of a problem of like, I, I admire the fact that he really is trying to do you, you can definitely tell he's trying to do everything he physically can to get the match that he's in as over as possible. And w- whenever, you know, people say, you know, oh, I definitely gave it 100% out there. A lot of the times I, I think is bollocks. Whenever Mick Foley says it, I legit feel he is 100% doing everything that he physically can to get it over. And seeing the shape that he appears to be in today, and, and it's quite sad in a way, because I mean, all right, okay, you're not going to know it at the time, but certainly in hindsight, you know, looking at it now, th- this match versus the big show, you know, he, he was probably trying to do everything he can to make it feel special and a big deal. And does anybody remember this? Do, 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 you know, do, do fans clamor and talk about that great match he had with the big show at WrestleMania? No, nobody does. I'd say nobody. There's bound to be one or two but for the most part nobody does and yeah I, I just I did find it quite uncomfortable to see the the type of bumps that he would take and again like I said steel steps came into play he took a hell of a bump over the steps and, and he always does to be fair but I, I cringed at some of the stuff he was doing now the DQ finish I mean I'm not going to shout and scream over it because I'm just done I, I really, I've just done it over it but I mean it, it was it was a particularly bad example here because I, I assumed it was no DQ because they were doing things that would get them disqualified. Then all of a sudden there's a DQ. So I did literally just jump up and go, what the hell was that? Admittedly, this is, I suppose, me being a little bit hypocritical here with, um, you know, saying how I cringe with some of the bumps the Foley takes. But the chokeslam onto the chairs didn't really work, did it? I mean, they, they, they tried to make it look devastating and that kind of fell a bit flat. So, so that was a bit naff. Props for effort but no that that didn't really work yeah and then you know you, you had the bit you know where vince comes out and tries to admonish big show at the end you know B- big show goes to choke salmon but decides to change his mind that's where vince then slaps him and, and big show gives him the old sort of ko punch probably would have been cool if he choked salmon but never mind that's what they went with we needed to see vince later on so maybe that's why they didn't want him completely dead 
they, this wasn't the best wasn't the best use of either guy i don't think so it, it, it didn't work for me yeah i mean it was a rubbish match and I, I do agree as well, for very little return, Mankind's throwing himself all over the place, putting himself through hell. And here's the other thing. Why? Why does the winner of this need to be the referee of the main event? Like, Mankind does come out in the main event at the end. But he could have done that anyway without being the referee, just to get rid of Vince. That would have been fine, you know? Like, I just, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't get why there has to be one of these two guys as the referee, which is the reason why they have to have Mankind win, which is the reason why they have to have the DQ, because the big show just debuted a month ago. Not only did he debut a month ago, but they signed him to a 10-year deal, rumoured to be worth a million dollars a year at the time. Probably the biggest contract WWE had ever given out, with the exception possibly of Austin by this point, and with the exception also of Brett, but they didn't honour the end of that. They didn't honour that contract in the end. Big Show was the first big signing WWE made away from WCW as well as part of this Monday Night War. So it, the traffic had always been the other way prior to this point. WCW had signed all the big names that they could possibly get their hand on that had been WWF stars. This was the first one who'd gone the other way. And WWF, in fairness to them, got the theoretically what should have been the best end of that because Big Show was still very young. He was a big star. He had been cast into the main event immediately by WCW and now WWE got their hands on him. And yet here we are one month in at WrestleMania. And what does Vince Russo do? And what does Vince McMahon allow him to do? <laughs> Turn him babyface. Within a month of joining the company and joining the corporation, he's turned babyface. And he's a big guy. He's, fuck, you know, seven foot, 500 pounds to hear the commentators talking about it. What the fuck are you doing? What the hell are you doing? There's no wonder why Big Show has legitimately, not even hyperbole, had about 700 turns during his time in the WWE. And that's something, and I'm not saying this with any, this is not me, exaggerating wrestlers should turn once and at most twice in their entire career in my view wrestling has completely changed and doesn't do that anymore and i and i think it's wrong i think that's completely wrong if you're changing the entire constitution of a character you better have a very exceptional reason for doing so otherwise it's ridiculous and it makes a complete farce of wrestling in general big show had turned once in a month of his career of the WWE and in 1999 he would then go on to turn about four or five other times during the year it's absolutely insane what a way to mismanage someone to your point Alex you're right he's that shape he's blowing up out of his ass but you've made a major investment in this guy at least protect him as much as you possibly can and give him the best chance to succeed so this is just another example of Russo's excesses during this year and, and WWE I'm not going to call it Russo's I'm just going to call it WWE's excesses because it's not really fair Vince Russo still had Vince McMahon with him so it wasn't like Vince Russo was in total control of this stuff. I was going to give you another example of the excesses of the WWE during this year. Tell me, if you can, how many times the tag team titles changed hands in 1999. One clue. Right, okay. I, I mean, I'm never going to get it, but I'll have, I'll have a... Just have a guess. Yeah. Five. Um, <laughs> no, more, way more than that. <laughs> way more than that. 14. Oh, he's only, well, he's only gone and got it. 14. <laughs> Oh, that is going on my Twitter handle again yeah. now. That's my next award. <laughs> another another line for the CV there, Alex. Lovely. Yeah, 14. That's exactly right. 14 times. In September, it changed hands three times. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. 
it was it was it was nuts but it wasn't this is my point alex for me this wasn't the attitude era this was just 1999 like 1999 was where they were just getting out of control even the wwe title changed hands about seven times during 1999 by this show it had already changed hands three times and this was the fourth title change of the wwe title in 1999 i think it would then go back to i think it went to the undertaker then went back to austin then it went to mankind triple h Vince McMahon, Triple H again. Yeah. It was insane. The belts were just being flipped all over the place. It was everything was just out of control. And yes, in the moment, as I say, for these sort of nine, ten months at the beginning of the year, nine, ten months of the first nine, ten months of 1999, it was fun and it was entertaining. It could not have continued. If they yeah, carried yeah. on down that road, it would have been disaster. Absolute yeah. disaster. Nothing would have meant anything. Yes, the title changes. So we've got, first of all, as you know, old uh, Jeff, Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart winning the title in january then kane and x-pac beating them the acolytes in may hardy boys in june acolytes again in july then kane and x-pac again the unholy alliance which was big show and the undertaker the rock and sock connection the unholy alliance again the rock and sock connection again the new age outlaws the rock and sock connection again the holly cousins <laughs> al snow and mankind and then the titles ended with the new age outlaws for their fifth title reign a mad mad year and this was just another example of their excesses. Big show, million dollar a year, 10 year contract, biggest signing they've made during the Monday Night War- Wars. And you turn him babyface within a month. My goodness. <laughs> So after this match, uh, Mankind is stretched out of arena. Briscoe and Patterson help Vince to the back. And we now believe we have a referee, which is going to be Mankind. Backstage, Vince is sat down by Briscoe and Patterson. Vince says he's going to call the cops as he wants Big Show arrested for assault. I'd just like to add something quickly here. So we're 45 minutes in and there's so much happened on this show. (laughs) Honestly, I was loving it. I was loving it. So much so that I had to watch this. I had to watch this show in three. And I'm like you, I think that you should watch the rest showing one because that's how it should be however busy lives time constraints I, I couldn't watch it in one but i was genuinely gutted that i had to stop watching it because i was just absolutely yeah the hardcore match i enjoyed but it was all it started off at a frantic pace tag team match i think you know it was something or nothing the brawl for all whatever the, the big show mankind match i quite enjoyed but the whole the, the whole thing was so fast paced it was just it didn't give you time to breathe and i was well on it i was along for the ride but in fairness this this is a really good in really good example of what they actually did really was like you just didn't yeah. have the time to think about anything mm. matches were short they were secondary to what was kind of the what was going on after that or what was going on someone inter- interfering someone whatever <coughs> doing whatever um and as i said it was really really entertaining you just couldn't mm. you just couldn't do it again the next match is the four-way match for the intercontinental title which is just under 10 minutes this one is Road Dog versus Gold Dust versus Ken Shamrock versus Val Venus. Gold Dust is accompanied by both the Blue Meanie and Ryan Shamrock as part of this. First of all, Shamrock and Val Venus get counted out as they brawl away from the ring. Then when Shamrock comes back, he gets angry, hits belly to belly suplexes on Road Dog and Gold Dust. Then Ryan Shamrock trips Gold Dust, presumably by accident, and Road Dog reverses a power slam into a pin and pins the Gold One. After the match, Gold Dust and Blue Meanie tell Ryan to leave. They're not very happy with Ryan Shamrock. Just so you know, Ryan Shamrock isn't actually Ken Shamrock's sister. It was a kayfabe thing. Matt? I, I, didn't, I didn't quite know what to say about this one because it wasn't, again, do you know how I use my phrase? It was like the good no bad. He was kind of there. The four-person sort of, you know, the, the fact that it was like a tag match I felt was a bit bit odd um, and not a rule that I would particularly like seeing them use on a regular basis. It just felt a little bit out of place and I 
it, it, especially the, the the way that you know it, the way that the match went. I mean, you know, they got rid of two of them and then ended up down to the last two fairly quickly. That that seemed a bit odd, but yeah, it, 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 was, it was interesting to see some of these. Like, I mean, if nothing else, it, it was interesting to see just some of the Attitude Era specific characters. You know, like <laughs> Val Venus as a porn star. What the hell? Um, I I think we have established that that I am a Ken Shamrock fan. The the one thing that was kind of sad about this, and and I know you talked about this on one of the last pods that we did, Ben, is that, you know, you, you mentioned that Ken Shamrock ended up doing the whole he snaps, beats people up type thing on a fairly regular basis afterwards. And yeah, you, you seem to have had his spot on. And, and that's pretty much what he ended up doing here, which I, I did enjoy. But I will say I, I enjoyed it less than the, the last time I saw him do it. So if that was, you know, the case of him repeatedly doing that on, on a regular basis afterwards, yeah, I, I could see the, the star starting to fade with Ken quite, uh, quite a bit, which was sad. I can't remember exactly what the line was. I mean, King was saying something, something to do about Blue Meanie. I'm, I'm sure it was basically in the lines of his parents should have used birth control. It was something like that, which really stood out in, in a bad way. I was like, what the hell is that about? I mean, not 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 cool, King, but the, the finish was okay. It was what it was. It, it wasn't too bad, I suppose. It was okay. Um, you know, Rodox super popular with the crowd. Um, so the, you know, at, the, at least the guy they wanted to to win certainly won. I, I think that this probably could have been a bit better, actually, given you know some of the guys they had in there. But it, it was it was fine for what it was. It was something a little you know a little bit something decent in the middle of the show. Yeah, I I enjoyed it again. It could it should have been a a three a triple threat match if Road Dog in in my WrestleMania if New Age Outlaws were fighting for the tag team champs I think it it would have been a serviceable uh, triple threat. Uh, Kem Shamrock just should have been pushed miles further than he than he was. And I think you know he, he should you know he should have joined the corporate corporation for a kickoff. I think he would have been quite a good baby face against the corporation uh, but I, I think that might have kind of ruined his chances but he, he, the guy fantastic and I I liked his, his flipping stuff uh, I think Wrestlemania 14 I think I, I would have said that that was my match tonight as well the Rock Shamrock one he's fantastic um, I love the inadvertent low blow on Goldust by Valvinus I thought that was brilliant uh, in the where he whips into the corner and then falls down on his nether regions and the other the only other note is Blue Meanie is I think it's brilliant <laughs> Absolutely brilliant at ringside, for entertaining as hell. Yeah, again, it just you know really entertained by it. I was really on a roll with this show, so I I, lo- I loved it. It was again okay. I think the thing for me, and I I do I do acknowledge this, is that this show is not boring in any way. It, it passes very easily. It, you know, it glides down very very easily because you've not really got the time to be bored. You've not really got the time to be kind of like why are we why are we still watching this? Why is this happening? You know, it's just boom 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 stuff stuff's happening. But it was there's nothing you can't pick anything out from me that's any decent, really that decent until you get to the main event and maybe the expat Shane McMahon match. Like these matches are either average or below average. That's what they are. There's nothing there's nothing that stands out as being really, really good, as I say, except for those two. And I only give Shane McMahon an expat above average don't go mad for it it's just a it's just a decent match so yeah for me this was fine but again another multi-person match and again only there because they want to put a bunch of people together that they've already had loads of matches with before so they're like well we've the only option we've got is to chuck another guy in there i think at some valentine's day massacre it was val venus against ken shamrock possibly or possibly against Goldust. can't even remember one of the two val venus and Goldust has had a feud in autumn of the previous year so they kind of just chucked road dog in last minute he won the intercontinental 
title between the February and the February pay-per-view and WrestleMania. Again, another pattern emerging there of titles just being flipped all over the place, not meaning anything. And the the other thing with that is, I mean, and I didn't like this. I remember the time. I know what prior, you're going to say. I know to what this, you're going to say. <laughs> it was Billy Gunn yeah. who was wrestling for the IC title or vying for it, and Raw yep. Raw Dog going for the hardcore, and literally on one Raw. All of a sudden, tonight we're going to have Road Dog the IC title, and, and they both won it on the same night. Yeah. And it was like, and I'm I'm pretty certain they advertised the WrestleMania matches as such as well with Billy Gunn in this. I might be wrong there. I might I might be wrong there, but yeah, it was bizarre. Yeah, I remember I at the time, think it was weird. Yeah, I don't know about that, but you're absolutely right. That's exactly what I thought you were going to say. And it, to be honest, mm. it look it look it feels like it works better if Road Dog's in the hardcore match and Billy Gunn's in this one. It just it just they just fit in those matches better. And I just think this was them being a bit kind of oh we're going to swear of everyone by doing something that we, they don't expect. And yeah. to your point, Matt, about the tagging in and out, I've got to be honest, I'd rather that than what we get with multi-way matches. And I'd rather also them have them elimination rules because I just think that the triple threat and fatal four ways just allow them off all the time to have this lazy booking. They allow them to kind of do the obvious thing where they have the title change hands when the champion's not a part of it, which is silly as well. It doesn't really make sense. Like the champions just have an adva- champion's advantage. Let's let's just have an elimination match at least so that you still have to be involved in the you still have to be pinned to lose the title. I don't want multi-man, multi-way matches at all. But if you're going to have them, I'd rather them be elimination rules at least. And I'm quite happy for them to be tag rules too. I'd, uh, I'd take the elimination part. I'd, I'd, in fact, I think that'd be a great idea. Just uh, yeah, the, the tag bit I could do without for me. Fair enough. Road Dog's very over. The New Age Outlaws were very over at the time. Shamrock is less over than he was a year before and it's like what I said like as you said you you enjoyed this less than the previous year that's what everyone was thinking because it was happening all the time as I said SummerSlam 97 is when it really stands out it, they go ballistic the fans love it they eat it up and after that they just can't stop pressing the same button and by it just to, to, to diminishing returns in the end right we've got a bunch of matches between that and the main event that we've already covered so what I'm going to do is very quickly run through some various bits and pieces that take place between the matches so first of all we've got outside a group of policemen surrounding the big show and arresting him taking him off to be in the local prison cell at the police station i assume we get the build-up for the triple h versus kane match we get kevin kelly backstage speculating who will be the referee for tonight's main event with mankind now being taken to a local hospital he may have said hospital he may have said medical facility i don't know (laughs) then vince arrives and tells kelly that he's going to be the referee then we get the stuff ahead of the main event so we get video of the wrestlemania rage party with isaac hades and a bunch of other artists of who i hadn't heard of before wwf superstars cutting promos in a sort of concert style slash festival type thing which is very bizarre and then michael cole announces that jim ross will commentate on the main event jr clearly still suffering from the bell's palsy when he sits down at the desk fink introduces vince mcmahon as the special guest referee mcmahon is not wearing a ref shirt even though during the promo earlier on he said he had a lovely ref shirt in his bag didn't pick up on that just before the match is about to get underway and the competitors <clears throat> about to come out sean michaels music hits and he comes out with mike kyoda michaels at the time was commissioner of the wwf i can't remember how that was how he became the commissioner but it definitely played a part in a lot of stuff during this year including i think the night after the rumble which vince had won vince saying that he was forfeiting his chance at the title and Shawn michaels then coming out and saying well as you forfeited your chance at the title the chance goes to the person who came second in the rumble and that was austin and that's why austin got the title shot so he was quite instrumental in a lot of the, the key storyline points at this point but i can't remember how he became commissioner in the first place the big chance 
for HBK, he tells McMahon that we can't have a WrestleMania without the heartbreak kid. Michael says Vince has got to read the WWF rulebook. He says it states there is only one man who could appoint an official at WrestleMania, and that one man is not Vince McMahon, but him. He tells Vince to get the hell out of the ring and don't let the door hit you on the hit your ass on the way out. He says that the corporation is barred from ringside, and if he sees any of them, he and Vince will have a fight out back, which I didn't think was a particularly impressive threat because to be honest don't get me wrong i'm sure vince wouldn't want that but vince has put himself in harm's way many more times before for less so i was a bit like well what why is that such a big problem for him and also he's got a corporation behind him why can't they just beat up Shawn michaels like i don't don't get it so that was that was a bit of a plot hole for me i thought hbk in this segment was brilliant absolutely brilliant massive pop for him you missed out the best line of the promo which i i'd start i was laughing my head off is when he goes priorities vincent priorities and i thought i was laughing my head off at that bit i thought it was fantastic i think that, um, i think that's the kind of thing i don't like Shawn michaels for so that's probably uh, why i didn't pick out it's a bit uh, it's a bit uh, no, i'm not really that's not really my kind of thing oh i i thought it was funny i think the crowd you could hear the crowd laughing to it as well yeah i thought hbk was brilliant in this to be fair i thought he was actually as well and his appearances during this time when he was commissioner as i said always stuck out because they were always yeah. important they always meant something i can't remember why he was commissioner i don't remember how he became oh, i was trying to wrap my brains when you said that thinking i'll try and impress you and remember but i can't <laughs> so it's then time for the main event steve austin versus the rock wwe title match 16 17 minutes long during the match a number of referees get involved i think we have mike yoda originally he gets knocked down tim white also gets knocked out earl hebner turns up gets knocked down as well eventually with vince and the rock kicking the hell out of austin mankind runs down gets rid of uh, vince mcmahon and then austin manages to hit a stunner and mankind counts the fall as the appointed original official for the match austin and earl share a beer in the ring afterwards mcmahon is in despair austin celebrates vince confronts austin but gets a punch and a stunner for his troubles I, I'll, I'll take i'll go first on this one uh, this is my match of the night i think it's by far and away the best match of the night i think it's dramatic it's fun it's really high high paced they do all of the typical attitude era spots they climb through the crowd they rate they fight through they fight around the ring they fight up the the entrance way onto the stage where they throw each other into the various bits of the set you get back in the ring, they hit the big moves, they have the great exchange at the end where one goes for the rock bottom, the other one goes for the stunner, Austin gets the victory, popping a babyface victory. I dare I say, I think, and I don't know yet, because obviously in a few weeks' time we will be covering WrestleMania 17, but because of the way that match ends, I think this is the most realised Austin rock match there is, if I'm honest. I think this might be the best one because it has, for me, the ending that the match, this match, should have, which is the babyface Austin going over, winning the match, taking the title. This epic chase that Austin's been on since losing the belt the previous September to The Undertaker and Kane in their triple threat match, the title being held up as vacant, the Deadly Game tournament, which The Rock won, and Austin was screwed out of by the corporation's scheming. Austin then having to beat The Undertaker at rock bottom to get entry into the Rumble, then having to be number one in the Rumble in order to even take part in it losing out to Vince McMahon but then Shawn Michaels making his decision and then for Austin saying I'll put that on the line against you Vince in a cage match that's in Valentine's Day Massacre which kept basically kept Austin chasing all the way right up to the pay-per-view before WrestleMania itself and then put him into this match having this match I think it's a cracking match furiously paced as I say and great heat all the way through the fans are going nuts there's just a chemistry between Austin and The Rock that is just hard to argue with they just have something perfect going with each other and I think their characters just so perfectly 
were different, both likable in different ways. I mean, even here, the fans are desperate to cheer for The Rock. It's just he's against Austin and Austin's still Austin, the most popular guy going. Both really likable, but in completely different ways. Just a real testament to what you can do with really well-defined characters that you understand who they are, what they're about. It doesn't have to be particularly complicated, but you need the characters to believe in that who they are and, and play it as if they believe that they are that person. Now, both of them will talk about how they've both turned their characters, their own real-life characters, up to 10 and just let that play out. There is a weakness in the number of, in the amount of interference, the amount of referee bumps. I get that. For me, as, and as you said, Alex, actually during the course of the show, this is what the Attitude Era was about, though. This is what they did. And I think that in the context of the time and of this match, I think it's okay. I don't have a problem with it, really. Also, I think it's the perfect way to end the Vince Austin feud. So we've been going since WrestleMania 14, effectively. The night after, uh, Vince asks Austin if he's going to do things the hard way or the easy way. Austin says he's going to do it the hard way and asks the fans, if you want me to keep doing it the hard way, give me a hell yeah. They give him a massive hell yeah. Vince and Austin is off to the races and then we have this year-long feud. We had the match between the two in the main event of the previous In Your House pay-per-view and then you get to WrestleMania and Austin's only last thing to do in this feud is to beat The Rock and win back the WWE title that Vince had screwed out of him the previous autumn. That's the end of the feud. There's no need to keep this feud going after that point. And WWE originally were going in that direction. They took Vince out of the equation. They made Shane Thorne in his side. They even had Vince, as you said, thank Austin for saving Stephanie. There is even the sense that I think it was at the May pay-per-view, Vince was almost trying to help Austin defeat The Undertaker, but Shane was pulling the strings and managed to get the help help The Undertaker win. And then they reveal Vince as the higher power, and that was a massive, massive mistake. If they had not done that, I think this would have, this would be even more perfect. But at this moment, this is exactly what's required. It's a great end to a great one of the best storylines in the history of the business and I think it's a great match why don't we go to you next Alex I know that I obviously didn't pick it as my match of the night but it's not to say it's not a fantastic match it is amazing it's an amazing match I completely agree with you everyone wants to see Austin win because of this long storyline with Vince McMahon and it's the perfect ending to the storyline it is a great match the only thing the only thing that I, I, I didn't like was I'm not a big fan of when wrestling goes into the crowd because for me, I just thought it was it was getting a little bit boring because all all you're seeing is them punching in the crowd, and it was I did quite like seeing the crowd reaction because they are just they are I've said it earlier they're ravenous, which is quite good to see. But I'm not I've never been a lover of that, and I, and that's one of the things that put the European Championship match over it for me in terms of match of the night. Whether that's a minute thing or not, I don't know, but that, that's why I just was a little bit bored in that part. The backdrop on the lights, as you said about the set, it just looked brutal, really, really brutal, especially with his, his knee in the brace. And the, and the sorry, the other thing that I didn't like was, and again, we can't avoid it, the chair shot to Mike Kyoda was absolutely sickening. It was mm. sickening, awful to see. So that was the, that was the other thing why it wasn't my match of the night but again I'm not saying it's a bad night but bad match because it, it really isn't it's a fantastic match and I agree with pretty much everything that you said with regards to uh, it, you know the storyline the right person won on that night it's similar to Daniel Bryan at Wrestlemania 30 everyone wanted to see Austin win that match and everyone got to see it and it's brilliant brilliant ending I would put it closer to Hogan versus Andre in that 
it's entirely expected that Austin will win and it's entirely expected that Hogan would win coming out of WrestleMania 3, but it's absolutely what everybody wants. And the reason they're watching yeah. is to see it because they, they're pretty certain it's going to happen. So they just want to see it. I think the Daniel Bryan one's a bit different because there was a probably a more of a, oh, is he actually ever going to win this? Like, are they really, are they ever going to give him the time that he needs? This is different. This is a period where WWE are doing the right thing. They're having Austin win all the time, but they want, but you are tuning in to see that. And that's why it's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that much, much better. I guess it's kind of like yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like being a Man United fan when Man United were dominant, right? You went and you knew as a Man United fan if you were one that you were going to win every week, but you still wanted to go because you wanted to see them do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's what this is. It's like I'm expecting them to win, but I really want to see it. That's why I'm going to watch. Do you know? What? I I'm not even going to waste any time. Um, I, I I was thinking of doing just. Maybe like a sort of clever bait and switch there just to take the piss a little bit. But yeah, I'm not going to bother wasting any time. This was absolutely fantastic. I'll I'll make absolutely no bones about it. It is whether there's bias or not. I don't care. For me, The Rock is to, to this day, the, the Rock for me is, is probably one of my personal favorites ever. And is the reason I started watching wrestling to begin with. There is just there's an innate charisma that that man has that just pulls you in and you you want to see what he does and you know you, you mentioned it there Ben that the chemistry between you know Stone Cold and The Rock I mean as a as a wrestling fan for me this is the definitive rivalry whenever you hear anybody talk about wrestling for me it starts you talk about you talk about Austin and The Rock that's if ever you're going to try and convince people to watch or things like that that's the type of thing that you show them is these two and this was wonderful to be able to see the, the you know the match it felt like it like a big brawl you know I, I quite enjoyed the, the the stuff in the crowd you know them going because they, they didn't just go up into the crowd they went right to the top of the ramp you know all it felt like they were going all around the arena you know taking the fight to each other you know which was absolutely great but what i liked about it as well is that this wasn't perfect by any stretch there was one or two little sort of little bit you know clumsy moments there was a bit of a miscommunication with like a sort of double clothesline spot that they did and that looked a little bit you know sort of clumsy and the the backdrop which you know we i think you both mentioned i, I didn't like that either in fact i thought that was actually quite poor because you know you, you could tell where you know when rock did the backdrop of where you know austin was probably gonna land so i thought that was quite in hindsight bit of a poor poor call but yeah like i said the the stuff in the crowd brawling all around was awesome there it is my god there is nobody who takes a stunner as good as the rock <laughs> my brother have always called it the the flop like a fish he really does just bounces up as soon as he just, just perfect makes it look absolutely brilliant you, you won't be surprised to hear that this was my match of the night i actually want believe it or not i want a little bit more like when it finished i was like oh no i was actually quite disappointed that it finished and to me it felt a bit short so i actually would have liked a little bit more but what kind of made me not feel that way because to be honest I you know had that, had that happened and then you know it was okay show goes off the end that was it I would have been thinking oh damn I wish I had a little bit more but the post-match celebration with Steve I actually thought was great and, and you know again Ben it's something that we have talked about a couple of times now where you know that sort of show closing moment where they go off the air and you feel like something important has happened you know that the fact that he got to Austin got to you know beat Vince up afterwards and give him the stunner which everybody badly wanted you know that the 
having beers, you know, coming back and doing, you know, the, the, you know, the, having the beers on the top rope and in the ring. And I mean, God bless Earl Hebner. That Austin made that man's night there. You could tell, you know, aside from Earl Hebner, you know, if, if ever he's had children or got married, I'm assuming he'd probably done, you know, both. But that was probably one of the happiest moments of his life. You you could tell he looked so happy. It was great. So yeah, the the post match celebration was amazing. It, it felt like the culmination of something special. Absolutely fantastic end to a show absolutely adored it like i said my, my match of the night and hell i'll throw it in there as well now th- there's no other choice for mvp of the night for me than stone cold steve austin as well it's, this was his show he was the man again yeah i don't know who to make my mvp so uh, i'll leave that for a few more minutes we've now got to go through our summary of the show our scores out of 10 and anything else any other business that we have uh, not yet kind of put down let's start with you alex i absolutely loved it i knew that i was going to i went on a passionate rant earlier about it took me back to a really important time in my life it just made me feel happy watching it even the matches that i thought were going to be boring i enjoyed watching them undertaker boss man and triple h kane uh, i mean the other sable tory again not a great match but then had that cliffhanger ending with nicole bass it's the attitude era summed up in two hours and 46 minutes in in my eyes it's got twists it's got turns it's got hardcore wrestling stone cold steve austin it's just got everything that the attitude era is all about people getting arrested vince mcmahon Shawn michaels making decisions but just amazing there were some bad things the, the mainly the big boss man hanging and the brawl for all in terms of a score I am really tempted, I'm really tempted to give it an eight because, like I said, I, I just loved it. I, I, I absolutely loved it. But I appreciate that that is my heart ruling over my head because there are other WrestleManias that are better than this that I probably would give it an eight. And I wouldn't think that it would be very fair to give it the same as that, if that makes sense. So my head is saying seven and my heart is saying eight. And we can't do half marks, which I completely agree with, because uh, a seven seven point five will be perfect. But I completely agree we're not doing half marks. I'll I'll go with seven. I'll let my head rule over my heart. I'll go with seven. I would watch it again. I'd definitely watch it again, more so for that nostalgia feeling. Now my MVP is really difficult because I've got one of four. I've got the person that puts the pyro out for the Triple H match and the X Pac match, and it doesn't go off, so that's a wasted night for him. So I thought I'd give him a little bit of props. But seriously, I'm debating X Pac because again, thought he was fantastic. I'm actually debating giving it to Bart Gum, you know, only because I just think he deserves something out of it. He deserves something <laughs> out of that, he, and, and that sounds stupid. And look, and, and I know that you're probably going to go Austin. And if I was doing WrestleMania 14, it would be Austin all day long. And Austin will get loads of chances to get MVP. So I'll try and think a little bit outside with that. Um, so I'm debating whether to give it Bart Gunn or Michael Cole. I, I might make an executive decision for you and give it to Bart Gunn. Because I think you're right. He does deserve something out of Brawl for All. And maybe this is yeah. all he can, might get. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, I know. And he might be listening and he might think, oh, bet he won't be listening, but he might be. Um, he, might, he, he might do now because people will yeah. be like, oh, do you know this guy gave you MVP for WrestleMania 15? You might want to listen yeah, to it. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Do you know what? Yeah, you're right. You're right. I'll give it to Bart Gunn. I'll give it to Bart Gunn because he was shit on in that brawl for all massively and he got nothing out of it and he was he needs to get something out of that because he was sold a badden and um, did his best. He did what he he did his job. He did his job and he got shit on by the company that employs him. So he can be my MVP with a special mention to Michael Cole who I thought throughout this show just did his job perfectly. 
perfectly. So seven, eight, ten, expat Shane McMahon match of the night, and Bart Gum is my MVP. Excellent, Matt. Yeah. So again, so uh, my MVP, like I said, Stone Cold Steve Austin. There was literally no other choice. Match of the night, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Rock. Again, for me, no other choice. O- overall score of the show. Now, I think that both of you have kind of summed it up best. You know, when in certain talking points throughout the show, in that when you talk about this show from an in-ring perspective, in-ring perspective. <clears throat> not the best not great but because a lot of the stuff wasn't particularly boring and it was quite fast-paced and yet it was the attitude era way of doing things it was never really boring i can't say i'd be super excited to watch this show again but nor would i think oh crap i gotta watch this again so because of that it does kind of leave me in a bit of a 50 50 kind of vibe and so because of that i think i'm gonna go with a five out of ten good one i was taking the back with that. i thought we were gonna give it a six but that is uh that's that's probably for the best because i was worried this was gonna get overrated by us in general because i'm giving it a seven out of ten and i do that on the strength of the main event the main event's just great We've spoken about this many many times main events the most important thing for me the rest of the show either takes it down or brings it back or brings it further up and the rest of the show definitely takes it down from there but never was i bored you know i've rated this higher than wrestlemania 14 which i never said i would have done prior to watching those shows so i'm i'm quite shocked by that but you know i think on this viewing I, you can't argue with that main event for me that main event is just an excellent piece of work in, in every way and you know that's as i said where i base the start of my rating on i'm also going to surprise people with my mvp of the night I'm giving it to vince russo he is the architect of this show uh, and, and the way it feels all the stuff that you loved alex about this show was entirely because vince russo was involved in it and all of the the reason why raw was must watch outside of just austin being super popular and the rock being super cool is down to vince russo now as i said that would have that would have definitely been a problem had vince russo not left the company when he did but because he did because we had all those amazing times when we had some great television for me this is i guess his big night this is russo's big night this is the wrestlemania that's entirely of his own creation entirely the product really that that he has kind of brought in i mean you can see vince russo's influence getting more and more over the course of 98 to 99 this is his big night so i can't argue with it he he created a product that genuinely meant that i didn't stop watching wrestling ever basically because he created the product that made me realize what wrestling could be at his absolute best and i think to be honest one of the reasons he gets such a bad rap and i you know i've been part of that is because when he went to wcw it was the first time a member of a creative team had gone from one company to the other and it'd been a major deal people knew about it and were aware of it and there was genuinely a belief that he could turn wcw around because of what he'd done at wwe and i think he gets a really part of the reason he gets a bad rap is because people expected him to fix wcw and then when he didn't and actually realized that the extent of his genius was really just redoing what he'd already done in WWE, it made people dislike him more than they would have done had he just failed. So that's my kind of makeup, I guess, of Vince Russo after all these years of since Wrestle Talk and the interview I did with him back then. Do you know, I've got, I, I've got a note about that when I was taking the notes for Brawl for All, and uh, I, di- I didn't bring it up with time, but I'll ask you, but I've seen that trial of Vince Russo, and it's, it's, it's a fantastic piece of work. What was he like? Not not in the like just in general. What was he like? He was a he was a decent enough guy. And there was a few things that were I don't know what the word is, unfortunate, I guess. So we were with him for the whole day. I interviewed him first of all about his time as the editor of the WWF magazine, then about his time in WWE, then about his time in TNA, and then we did the trial of Vince Russo, which was kind of what we were building up to over the course of the day. It had been positioned to him that we would do this thing and they they showed him clips of I think 
Dave Bradshaw had done some stuff with uh, Raven, where they'd had a big argument on the show previously. Yeah, I remember that. And they kind of said, look, this is what we're kind of aiming for, but it's going to be done but done like Frost Nixon, like the interview. That film was out around about that time. Yeah. And uh, so I'd done my homework. I'd really done my homework. And I'd listened to like three or four other interviews he'd done prior to this point. So I knew the answers he was going to give, which meant I had follows up, follow-ups ready for him. And is that he, over the course of the day, he was completely fine, no problem at all. And then with that one, afterwards, I mean, this is going to sound bad. This is going to sound silly as if I'm bigging myself up. I felt genuinely bad for him. There yeah. was a moment, there was a moment where I looked in his eyes whilst we were still doing the interview and I could tell I'd broken him and he was like, stop hitting me. Like with his eyes, he was telling me, stop hitting me. But I'd been told to do this job and we told him I was going to try and do this job on him. And that's what we did. And he looked shell-shocked when he left. He left and came back. He went to his hotel, came back to three or four hours to do the TV shows that night. So we'd done that during the day and then did the TV shows yeah, that night. Yeah. And it was it must have been in the period when he'd gone back to the hotel that he then did a recorded a podcast, which is about what we just done and completely slated me. Now, obviously, I didn't know that at the time when he came back for the recording later on. And I think it was maybe two, two days later that on the podcast that he properly laid into me. But yeah, and I felt bad. And I said to I said to the people who were there, I said, look, I'm not entirely proud of what we've done today. Like it wasn't we didn't surprise him with this. We, we, we you know, we, we it wasn't an ambush. We told him what was coming. Mm-hmm. And also his entire career has been based on creating conflict. You know, that's what he does. So that was what, well, that was what people said to me when I said, I, I don't feel we've done, I'm not very happy with what we've done. But yeah, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a great feeling. I've got to be honest afterwards, because he wasn't, I wasn't a bad guy at all. You know, mm-hmm. he's perf- perfectly affable. I mean, look, he said, he said something since politically that I don't agree with, yeah. but at that point, I wasn't really aware of any of that. And he was just was another guy that I met. So that's the story of Vince Russo. But yeah, mm. you know, I genuinely think he deserves the MVP for this. And also he deserves the MVP for that story. The Steve Austin Rock story this year, not Steve Austin Rock, Steve Austin McMahon, sorry. This mm. year from WrestleMania 14 to WrestleMania 15 is the best booked story ever. Now, I don't have any qualms about believing that Vince McMahon was a huge part of putting that story together as well. Probably as big as Vince Russo, possibly even bigger. But together, it was a phenomenal, phenomenal phenomenal story from wrestlemania 14 to 15 it's perfect in my view it's not just great booking from a entertainment perspective viewer it's great booking from an efficiency standpoint they have got so few main eventers when they start that journey so few main eventers and their roster is paper thin like they've got maybe six seven guys or over and they go from that to what you see here at wrestlemania 15 where people are invested in nearly everyone on the show you know everybody's kind of been a bit of a part of it mankind's become a, a headliner over the course of the year the rocks become a headliner over the course of the year triple h is now on his way like they had done such a bang up job during that year that I think they deserve a heck of a lot of credit. There are, I think, about seven pay-per-views during that year that are headlined by some combination of Austin Rock and Kane. Not Rock, Austin Undertaker and Kane, sorry. You'd never get away with that being considered really good these days. And it's because the story was so strong all the way through. So yeah, that's uh, that's my summary. So our average rating for the show, 6.33. And uh, you should have given it an eight. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. No, and I, I was a bit worried it was going to get overrated by us if Matt went for a six and or a seven for that matter because i did feel a little bit little bit like you know even though i've given it a seven i'm not sure it's actually worthy of it <laughs> i'll tell you what if you ask me the first time i were taking that break i'll give it a 10 
because I was that much. Oh, when Austin's pop happened while I was watching it, I'd give it an eleven because I was that far. I was I was gone euphoric. Well, yeah, there was no way it was going that high. No, I would. Yeah. To put this into perspective, the show itself on Cage Match gets an average rating of four point one six. So that's how highly it's rated. It's not. It's not a high, heavily highly rated show. This one we have, however, put it into fourth place so far behind ten, three, and fourteen, which I don't think is a terrible place for it. I think that's probably just about right. Um, just one last thing. Do you remember WrestleMania four when I looked on Internet Movie Database and it gave it a seven? Yes. This got a seven as well. How does that work? Don't know. Miles better than WrestleMania four. I'm not <laughs> looking at Internet Movie Database anymore. It'll frustrate me. Right. So all that's left to do for me is to thank you matt for joining us today pleasure as always gentlemen thank you very much for having me and thank you also for stepping in today alex anytime anytime i've just got one more one little plug if that's all right yeah go for um, it yeah so 16th of april myself and my partner joanna we're running the manchester marathon uh, and we're doing it in aid of cancer research if i put a link on my twitter uh, if you could retweet it if anyone would like to donate I, I, honestly we're not asking for like loads of money it's just whatever you can i know the cost of living that's going on at the minute and i get it but if anything little will be amazing we have hit our record we, we, we need to get we needed to get a grand and i think we're on about 1200 but we just want to try and earn as much everyone's been affected by cancer at some way whether it's themselves family or friends um so we're really we're doing it for a good cause and i rode my ankle about eight weeks ago and chipped a bone in my foot so it, it the, the training is really hard at the minute but i'm gonna drag my ass over that finish line and we're doing it for cancer research so i'll put i'll put the link to the just giving page on my twitter and then if you could re, uh, retweet it for us ben appreciate it we most certainly will don't you worry about that yeah so definitely get get over on there and if you can uh, chuck alex a few quid yeah that'll be very much appreciated thank you for joining us today we'll be back in a couple of weeks where we'll be taking on either wrestlemania 16 or wrestlemania 2000 depending on how my mood takes me 16 and until then 